can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she wouldn't give you Hey, 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 this is Movies We Missed, your favorite podcast and your favorite podcast hosts. I am Brandon Greenhouse, and this is my lovely co-host, Jane Rosario Hammer. Mm. And uh, we want to thank you for tuning in to our um, podcast. And to start out, um, we realized that we have gone multiple episodes without taking a moment to acknowledge the amazing musical and creative talent that went into creating our theme song, uh, Bonnie and Taylor Sims of the incredible band Everybody Loves an Outlaw. I'm sure you've heard their hit song, I See Red. Um, I'm sure it's got you gagging. It really took the world by storm last year. And they've got a new (laughs) single out called Rebels and Outlaws that is just as incredible and, you know, such a bop. And we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge them and to send them a special shout out and thank them for bringing their amazing talents to the floor for us and for our uh, humble little podcast. Yeah, thank you guys. Seriously, we you legitimize us. You make us sound good. Um, we appreciate you. We truly love their music. If you guys want to check them out, they're on Instagram. So they're um, at Bonnie and Taylor Sims. And they're also, their band is at Everyone Loves an Outlaw. And then they're also at Everyone Loves an Outlaw on TikTok. Um, so check them out. Listen to them. Find them on Spotify. They are awesome. They're new single is really really good yes absolutely so yeah uh thank you guys uh and by you guys i mean bonnie and taylor we love you Um, i say let's just let's let's get right into the gig um yeah so uh how are you doing jane i'm good i'm good i'm sorry i didn't return the question how are you Oh, it's fine. I'm, I'm used to it. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> well, I thought, because I, I was thinking about what we could talk about at the top of the show this week, and I thought what we should do is obviously introduce the universe to a little show we've been watching oh, called God. Single Wives on oh. Netflix. <laughs> It's like, the, the thing is, there's something about mentioning a show to people that's already canceled. It's like... Oh, it was already canceled? You looked it yeah. up, I'm sure. No, yeah. I mean, I just I just saw that there was only one season available, and I, I, I surmised that they had sort of decided that they had probably, you know, taken it as far as it could be taken. Well, it is from Australia, so the thing about um, TV shows from other than the United States is like they don't always go on for seasons and seasons and it seasons. is it's canceled yeah oh. Confirmed. <laughs> okay well I was trying to give it a little something but anyways it's a reality show set in Australia about I don't know is it five women four four women four, four women um, picked to live in a house who were all previously married and they are in this like amazing beautiful house in Sydney on the beach and they are are paired with um, relationship expert Max Hussey. Matthew and... Hussey. Oh. <laughs> the way I'm <laughs> And you were the one who brought the topic to the floor. You think I have the information, Brandon? <laughs> you said... 
<laughs> Matthew Hussey, who has who also features um, several, um, you know, he drops a couple names. Um, he does. You know, Eva Longoria and Tyra Banks have apparently had conversations with him. That's all we can really verify. I don't know if he's we don't know them. if they've used his services, but I love in the like <laughs> in the like beginning credits of the show. There's like clearly like just a clip of like a cell phone video of him sitting sitting next to Eva Longoria and them both waving at the camera. So we're supposed to surmise that she's co-signed his um, abilities. I what guess. what I think they said was stars like Eva Longoria and Tyra Banks are fans of his work, which is like. <laughs> That just means, like, we know you. We we know you're out there doing your thing. It says so little. But anyways, he's there to help these tragic single women find love in their lives. And it is a roller coaster. It's it's good. And I can't even say it's really messy, because by, like, U.S. reality television standards, this is really kid gloves um, that we're talking. Like, no tables have been, you know, tossed over. No prostitution whores have been called out. Um, So it's really, it's, it's light work. But I'm sure it's maybe considered, like, tawdry in terms of, like, Australian, like, reality TV fare. But, um, yeah, they're, they're four women, and they're really just trying to, trying to you know, have another shot at love. Shout out Tila. Tia. Tila. Um, Tila. No, don't shout out Tila. Actually, like don't a, shout her out. She's got some she's really... She's like a Nazi now. Yeah, yeah. she's got some really dicey <laughs> politics. <laughs> Um, Tila Tequila, yeah. we do not co-sign you or shout you out. I hope you're not listening. Um, yeah, shame it, it would on be you, by Tila. Some miracle if she stumbled upon our podcast. <laughs> we we have listeners all over the world, Mama. We do, we do, and I actually that's like one of my favorite things to mention when I talk about the podcast. I'm like, look at all these countries that people listen to us from. But anyways, not the point. I should have said we have listener all over the world because it's like, <laughs> it's like one person in like each from country, each country. <laughs> but we're here for it. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Tell um, your friends. Tell your international and non and local friends. friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, we have been watching this together and yelling at the television, and it's been a real it's been a real doozy. There's been a, there's been uh, some attempts being made. Some of the girls are coming for Matthew, the host job. Matthew and Fifi Box is also. Um, <laughs> Australian radio personality. She is the the co-host, I guess you would say. Um, and we'd never heard of her before, and she does absolutely nothing on the show. She just shows up sometimes. She, she does a lot of guffawing at what's happening. <laughs> she she does a lot of like what when certain things occur, and like she turns to Matthew to be like, Matthew, how do you feel about it? Um, <laughs> what that was like Irish. <laughs> we we know. Let's just we move know. Forward. All right, all right, all right. Um, I'm gonna talk accent because I can't do any better. But Bobby it is. Triple the Bobby. Matthew. <laughs> One of <laughs> Shrimp on the Babby. That's my uh, that's my phrase that gets me in there. That gets you in there. Um, our friend Laura told me that her phrase to get into the um, or her word to get into um, the Australian accent is Novimba. Novimba. Which is actually like pretty I like useful. it. Yeah, it's good. What's three syllables? It's three syllables, yeah. so it's and really you—it's <laughs> like you can really um, stretch it out, so you can make sure that you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Um, but it's a great show. 
in the fact that, in the way that it's not a great show, but it's definitely entertaining to watch. So you guys, it does what we needed to do. Yeah, it's, we um, we will say there's some really dicey stuff. There's one woman who they will not refer to as anything other than Indian divorcee, which you know, I yeah, mean, it's, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's also, like we have eyes, we can see. We don't need you like declaring it every time. It's just. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like black single woman. <laughs> yeah, like enough. You can she just be herself, please? Also, I just want to point out, um, apropos or nothing, my mom is calling me back. I called my mother earlier, and me and my mom were on the phone for. First of all, I called her. She didn't answer. She texted me and said, "I'll call you back." Like fifteen to twenty minutes later, she called me back, which is fine. We started a pleasant conversation, and then my mom said, "Oh, hold on one second. She put me on hold for I. I was out for a walk, so I was on hold. I looked into my phone for 20 minutes goodbye and then i, I finally hung, i would have hung and up then i gave up i know minutes. and i felt like like my like i felt like such a loser i was just <laughs> like Ugh. i just like hung up the phone and that was like two hours ago and then my mom's calling me back now she finally got around to it it's just like uh, the disrespect so i, I just want that it. to be noted that like i'm not even cool in terms of like my familial unit. And also, mm-hmm. like, just everybody knows, I'm an only child. So it's not like <laughs> anybody's getting better treatment than me. This is this is the best. Um, <laughs> this is what she can give. And so, shout out to Mama for, for, getting, for getting around to scratching that off her list to call me back and probably secretly hoping I wouldn't answer since it had been two hours. And you win. It all do worked you think, out. Do you think your mom listens yet? I know it's been... No. You, she still doesn't listen. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe maybe once we become like you know really big, which is definitely. Well, if I bring it up, then she goes, <laughs> "Oh, okay." <laughs> that's it. So I think that's. that's I love that because my mom listens to every word and then texts me about things that I don't want to be reminded about. <laughs> yeah, my mom would probably. I'd probably get a maybe a phone call and she'd be like, "Hey, I just want to talk to you about something real quick." And then it probably would be her like letting me know what she wasn't pleased about. But um, I don't know. She'll probably she'll listen to this episode eventually, and she won't love the 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 brush <laughs> the that shade. she's being painted that she's being painted with. I can tell you that. She'll we will like, say we what? should not slander your mom. She's wonderful. My mom's wonderful, but I will also say this isn't the first time that she's done this whole, whole <laughs> you thing. You do you do she's complain about this. your mom's phone etiquette quite a bit. <laughs> Also, she's done it before where she'll be like, hold on. And then she had me on hold for like 20 minutes. And then I'll be like, I'll call her back or like later on, I'll like text her or something. And then she'll be like, oh, I thought you'd like put the pieces together. And it's just like, (laughs) so you didn't want to waste your breath clicking over to be like, oh, this is going to take a little bit longer. You were just like, I assumed you weren't an idiot. And that you'd be able to assume since I'm not talking to you on the phone, I'm talking to somebody else. And we're going to have to pick this up at another time. But I do love Look, the something silence. something better has arrived. I, you... I do love the silence, though. Like, because it's just, you're just on hold, so you're just in that black void. And I do See, love, I don't, like, I don't the... put up with that. So I will give someone two minutes, and if and if it goes longer than two minutes, I hang up. That's what I should do. Because yeah. I think I zoned out, maybe. But that's what I should do, because it's like, you'll call me back when you get a chance. Exactly. Um, and there are people with whom they'll put me on hold for, like, ten seconds, and I hang up. And they call back, and they're like, I, I came right back. And it's like... <laughs> 
Did you though? <laughs> right. Well, speaking of making people wait, I feel like we are currently doing that with our listeners. Um, Absolutely. So maybe um, we should get to the movie. Maybe we should dive right in, huh, Mama? Um, yeah. We um, this week I gave Jane um, the 1959 romantic comedy classic Pillow Talk to watch. Pillow Talk that has been stuck in both mine and Tara's head all weekend and we literally can't stop I'm I'm actually I'm I'm super this was like this was one that I was a little bit like nervous I guess would be the word mm-hmm. like I was curious mm-hmm. I was really curious because it was like I, this is a different type of movie we haven't done a movie like this in the podcast I love classic films and so this was my first time presenting one and I I had a list of ones that I was like which one should I you know pop Jane's classic cherry with and I uh, I, I I hate that very like so 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 much <laughs> you didn't love that no why would I love pop Jane's classic Cherry. <laughs> I thought you'd be into it. Okay, well, I guess right. you don't know me as well as you think you do. Well, I didn't know you were a prude, so that's <laughs> fun to find out. Well, um, <laughs> But, yeah, so uh, Jane's classic cherry. She is unpoppable, apparently. She doesn't want it popped. So it's I been w- popped, baby. Okay, I was going to say, I can't flick it or anything, so. Oh. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're going to move along. Um, we are going to stop talking about that. <laughs> um, just making sure we can never be monetized, basically. Um, so, <laughs> so it is Pillow Talk. Jane got to watch it. Um, I did. I did. And, um, yeah. So, uh, Do you want me to like give you a little taste of my feelings? I would love it. I'd love a little taste. Okay. So I was like dragging my feet this whole week. Of normally, you normally I'm like, oh yeah, like I have like I have a night to myself. I'm going to watch this movie or like oh nothing's going on, like let's do the movie or whatever and I get really excited and I get set up and you know, get my computer, get my snacks going. And this week I was like I kept being I kept being like sitting down and then being like oh you know what I actually I want to finish this show real quick so I'll, I'll put it on afterwards <laughs> and I just like kept kicking the can down the road because I am I don't know I guess I was like I'm, I'm not that interested in watching classic movies yeah but I will that's say that's fine by the way yeah no, and I, I think that's like I don't uh, I don't like that about myself. I want to like I, I mean I have to be I think I have to be in a really specific mood. I think maybe, mm-hmm. but I put this on and I was as you probably could have guessed because you did the right thing. You know who I am and you assigned this specific movie to me first. Like I was delighted from the moment it started to the moment it ended. Of course, I mean it's uh, what I didn't understand is that it's a classic romance to comedy and it's like a tale as old as time and those stories that I just absolutely fucking eat up so like there was no way I wasn't gonna like this movie and I mean I didn't know it (laughs) in many ways it's like I mean it's the prototype for a lot of you know the ones that we love it's got a little it's got a little well so okay so so of course there's You've Got Mail which um, has some of the elements in it but You've Got Mail is famously inspired by a 1940s film called um, Shop Around the Corner this Mm. um, starring James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan so this movie is not really a part of that I mean the writers of this 
this film may have been inspired as well by Shop Around the Corner. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't seen anything anywhere that like denoted that. This movie was written by okay. R- Russell Rouse, Maurice Richland, Stanley Shapiro, and Clarence Green. So they all had a hand in the creation of this. Um, the dream the movie, team is, I always say. The dream team, absolutely. It's them, and then I, it's Truly them. never heard of them. And then it's Michael Jordan, and then uh, and Pippen, and, you know, Rodman. So those mm-hmm. are always the two dream teams that I sort of toggle between when I hear the term. Yeah, so this script was originally bought um, by, R- by RKO. They originally brought the script from mm-hmm. Rouse and Green in 42, and but they didn't produce it. And then the writers ended up buying the script back in 45, and then it was sold to be a play in 47 but then that didn't happen and then they ended up buying it back again and then selling it to Arwin Productions which is a production company run by Doris Day's husband at the time Martin Melcher and Martin was the one who actually ended up producing the movie with um, his uh, co-producer whose name is escaping me Hudson Oh, oh God! I'm sorry, Hudson. It's escaping me. Not, 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 not Hudson. Oh my God, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Ross, Hunter. They co-produced the film together. Barn Melcher being Doris Day's husband at the time. Um, yeah. So, so this took like 20 years to like in between being written and in between this yeah. got made. It was a long, it was a long sort of period. I think that um, yeah. Melcher saw that it would be a great um, starring vehicle for um, Doris Day, and Ross Hunter had um, done several films, had produced several films that um, Rock Hudson had starred in. So this movie was like a really big like turning point in both of their their careers for different reasons. Uh, Rock Hudson was sort of in a little bit of like a. Uh, I don't say not a downturn per se, per se, but like he was coming off of uh, he had a, a couple recent flops. Farewell to Arms was supposed to be this. It was a remake in like 1957. It was supposed to be a really big hit, and it wasn't. Um, he'd also done primarily um, like dramas and like sort of historical epics up to this mm. point. So this was Rock Hudson's first comedic performance in a film. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's and, surprising to me. Right. And um, Doris Day was also coming. This was a big turning point in her career because this was her sort of stepping into like sort of sexy, uh, stylish leading lady. She had been leading ladies in films before. Doris Day was primarily known as like, she'd done a lot of like historical musical comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the like turn of the century musical comedies that she'd starred in up to this point. Lots of girl next door performances and performances where she was a leading lady, but it was always a leading lady who sort of um, like a professional, like a, like a teacher, you know, or a reporter, things like that. But she hadn't played like a character that was quite as um, sexy and as metropolitan um, as this, as uh, Jan Morrow up to this so point. So she was basically like more of a cutesy gal as opposed to like a sexy Exactly, gal. exactly. Okay. She wasn't mm-hmm. really like, you know, she wasn't really bringing like the sex appeal in the ways that, you know, a lot of the other starlets of the time, like, like you know, you'd get from like a Jane Russell or like a Marilyn Monroe. She -hmm. wasn't, or even like a Bacall, like she wasn't giving that. And this movie was sort of like, I think this was a a vehicle that gave her that opportunity. And um, there were some great quotes that I came across. There was a quote from um, uh, Ross Hunter, apparently, um, said he brought in Jean Lewis, who was the costume designer who made all the beautiful gowns that... um, Oh my God, I have so much to say. Right? Doris Day wears in the film. There's so many fabulous Mm -hmm. outfits. And Hunter um, apparently said today, you are sexy, Doris. And it's about 
of time that you dealt with it. If you allow me to get Jean Lewis to do your clothes, I mean a really sensational wardrobe that will show off that wild fanny of yours and get some wonderful <laughs> makeup on you and chic you up and get a great hairdo that lifts you, why, every secretary and every housewife will say, look at that. Look what Doris has done to herself. Maybe I can do the same thing. And so I love that quote. And <laughs> it's so wonderful. Also, I love that you gave it that like 1950s vibe. I try. Well, you know I can turn it up. But I will say, I will say that I also love that quote because he also manages to drag her a little bit in there too. Yes. Which is how I prefer <laughs> to give quotes. But I do love that he's like, yeah, girl. He's like, you could be gorgeous and we can fix you up. You don't have to be dowdy. <laughs> it's like, excuse me? It's like, we're going to do your be- hair. Walking around like a potato? <laughs> exactly. Let's leave those burlap sacks behind, shall we? We're going to put you in clothes that fit you appropriately, and we're going to actually do your damn makeup, and we're going to get your hair done professionally so it doesn't look like it looks now. And then you're going to be tops. It's like, oh, okay, I, I will say my one note about her look is that I didn't love her hair, but that's... It's, Doris Day's hair tends to be a little bit on the, like, helmet side, which, of course, yes. is, like, period, well, but, you know. I feel like we're moving. We should do the synopsis before we move in. So yes. Like, our, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right, so this is the synopsis for Pillow Talk. Posh interior decorator Jan Morrow is a single New York gal who has everything going for her. A fabulous job, great clothes, a functionally alcoholic maid, and an apartment that's to die for. The only chink in her armor is Brad Allen, the crooning Casanova with whom she shares a party line. Whenever she needs to use the phone, he always seems to be serenading some flavor of the moment. And when she brings up her frustrations to him, he asserts that she should find a Don Juan all her own. Now, truth be told, Jan has a few suitors lined up. One is a millionaire divorcee named Jonathan Forbes that has designs on making Jan his fourth missus. But he's got some competition. A smooth-talking Texan named Rex Stetson has moseyed into NYC and stolen Jan's heart. These two seem destined for one another. If Jan can get past one little problem, Rex is actually her lady-killer party-line compadre, Brad Allen. Alan, you see, after Brad finds out from his bestie, Jonathan Forbes, about how enchanting the woman on the other half of his party line is, he decides to have a little fun. Knowing she'd never entertain the real Brad Allen, he dons a disguise and meets her while posing as a Texan named Rex Stetson. Unbeknownst to Jan, she's falling in love with her arch nemesis. Jan is undoubtedly smitten with Brad's alter ego, Rex. Now Brad just has to make her fall in love with the man behind the facade. Pillow talk done in the darkness will sooner or later come to light. Oh, that was great. That was fantastic. I do realize that I do realize that I referred I don't know if men are referred to as divorcee. And Oh, I didn't even think about that. What would you call a male divorcee? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good yeah, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Google that. Male word for I get I mean I guess it is. Uh, well a male divorcee is a divorcee. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just I don't know if you pronounce them differently. Divorce so a woman I guess is it's two E's on the end and a man is one E on the end. They both have an E with an accent on the end though. Oh, interesting. I wonder so if a woman is a divorcee and then a, a male 
counterpart would be divorcee. I feel because I feel like I've heard divorcee, but I mean, this is just the blind leading the blind at this point (laughs) because we don't know. Yeah, right. It's all. I mean, I guess it comes down to pronunciation, really. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, interesting. Well, I thought the first thing we should do for our, um, you know, Gen Zers and our young millennials who listen, I thought we should go ahead and give them a definition of what a party line is. I thought so, too. And I actually put in my notes that I'll let Jane take this because Jane comes from money and she has experience with summering at places where there are party lines. Um, So I thought that she would be perfect to... Explain to some of us pores um, what you know. I'm fucking dying. <laughs> you have like party line stories. I know you have like tales well, of using party lines. Okay, so here I'm. I looked it up on Wikipedia for the actual definition, and I'm just gonna read it here. A party line is a local loop telephone circuit that is shared by multiple telephone service subscribers. Party line systems were widely used to provide telephone service, starting with the first commercial switchboards in 1878. A majority of the Bell system subscribers in the mid-20th century in the United States and Canada were serviced by party lines, which carried a billing discount over individual service. During wartime shortages, these were often used. These were often the only available lines. British users similarly benefited from the party line discount. Farmers in rural Australia and South Africa used party lines, where a single line spanned miles from the nearest town to one property and on to the next. So, it's basically a shared phone line, and I do. I don't know this because I quote come from money. Okay. I, <laughs> I know this because growing up, we used to spend a lot of time in Vermont, which is <laughs> where my aunt had a house in Vermont, and we used to go there all the time. Um, and she like a secondary it, residence. Yes, it was not. okay. <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> It wasn't our second secondary residence. It was my aunt's secondary. It residence. was a secondary residence in the family. <laughs> Anyways, so because we would go there all the time because it was beautiful and a lot of fun, and of um, I love 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 my aunt Sarah. Shout out to Aunt Sarah, who's definitely not listening, um, but maybe her kids are. Uh, my cousins, um, but there was. Uh, up up until like the 90s because she wasn't there all the time and it was like there wasn't like a lot of activity going on there was what was called a party line and so the phone line was shared and if I remember properly and like I may be getting this wrong so if my cousins can call me out for this please go ahead and um, drag me because I might be getting this wrong but I think there was a different ring for the other person's line than the one at her house. So it would ring slightly differently. Like it would be like two short rings for my aunt's house and then like a long ring for their house or vice versa. I can't remember. But so that is why I know what a party line is. Otherwise, I would have no idea. I probably would have never heard of it because the idea is kind of like insane. I mean, no, and you wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for the second home that you're that was in your family that you summered at in Vermont. 
So yeah. that's what a party line is. Obviously, in the context of like this sort of like posh, you know, New York scene, um, and based on the conversation, because there's a moment towards the beginning of the movie where Jan goes to um, the phone company to ask about the line, and they basically say, "We don't have any other lines available unless you're pregnant." And she's like, and I, I don't remember the line exactly, but she's something along. She the goes, way, "Well, she, seeing is a." She, I don't remember the line. They were just like, "Seeing is how I'm single." I don't think that's going to be happening for quite a while or something like that. Seeing as I'm single, that's not exactly a knot that I see myself becoming tied in. <laughs> I just like Did you voice. notice? Did you notice? Okay, so when she went to go talk to the guy at the phone company, I was like, that guy looks weirdly familiar to me. Yes. And he's the guy from um, I Dream of Genie. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, that's so crazy. Is he the, he's, yes, he's the best friend. Yeah, right. he's the best friend of Jeannie's husband, right? I think so. He's the best friend of, um, is it the Colonel? It's the Colonel, right? I want to say Darren. Is that different? That's Bewitched. Darren's right? Bewitched. No, right. but but, she, no, but Jeannie always refers to, Jeannie always refers the to The General? Him. The Colonel? It can't be. It's not the General, I don't think, is it? What if you called your husband, like... The, like, oh, you know, but that's like the people, no offense anybody, but like the people who refer to, you know, the, the dads refer to the, the mom as like mother. Oh, it's so gross. I'm you know what I'm talking about though? Where it's like, yeah. mother, mother's not going to be too happy about this. Like that yeah. kind of thing. Norman Bates? <laughs> no, but that's like the son. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm okay. talking about? Like, there's like, that's like a whole thing where like, sometimes it'll be like, well, you know, when, when father gets home. Like, <laughs> that's hey. like, so I just imagine someone like in like full Amish garb saying that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it's very like, it's very. Or that. like the yeah. cast of the sound of music or something. Yes, it's, yeah, it, we teeter into that territory very quickly. Um, but yeah, so she goes to the phone company, she she speaks with him, he basically says, I can't, there's nothing I can do about it, but he, you know, that. but he sort of offers to send somebody out to, like, give him a talking to, or at least do, like, surveillance on what's going on. Um, fortunately, he sends a woman, and we all know that, like, no woman can resist Brad Allen, so he just moves her well- I had never seen a Rock Hudson movie before. I know, I know who he is. Mm-hmm. He's obviously like monumentally famous, but my God, he is fucking beautiful. He's a like, very beautiful man. When yeah. he opens the door and like smiles at the phone lady who's like going to like check out the issue and he just like flashes her that smile, I was like, oh, I would let him do whatever he wanted to. Yeah. Like Rock Hudson's the, one of my, he's one of my faves like of like old Hollywood. Yeah. I, it's like, I don't always like if I look at old Hollywood people and they're like, oh, this was the most handsome man of the time. I'm always like, oh, okay. But like Rock, Rock Hudson was insane looking like he was I just was surprised that he was so beautiful I think God, it's like Dave is an appalling person and he's been like sending these notes and <laughs> I, I I almost don't I don't want to mention them because I don't want to put them out there <laughs> Can I read them? Yeah, you go ahead, Jane. Oh, Jane just said, please don't, is what I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I I don't care. Okay, I'm going to read to our podcast listeners. These are the notes that our producer, David, is writing in the chat to me and Brandon. (laughs) Okay. He's gorgeous. I want to be him and have him in me. That was the face I wanted. (laughs) 
Which also sounds kind of like dramatic, like a dramatic, like section of like a novella. <laughs> I wanted to I have th- him in me, <laughs> me. and I, I would. I, I wanted to, to be him and have him in me. I wanted to be him and have him in me, which but I, I guess, think is like very much like so like a very universal queer experience too. It's like, I, do I want to make out with you or do I want to be you? Or do I want you to like, call me by your name? Um, <laughs> another movie I've never seen. I wanted to. <gasps> Oh my god. Well, there's a. She I don't just, want to do an army hammer joint because he's just, just like a mess. She just gasped. <laughs> it's such a beautiful movie. I know. I, I know. But I was going to say, I want it to be him and have him in me. It was a balmy Georgia summer. And no was not a word I was prepared to hear. Um, <laughs> oh, this, this story took ties a turn. In ex- yeah, and it also ties <laughs> into this movie as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Oh, my God. Uh, so I, I would love to get back to this movie just since, you yes. know, we barely scratched the surface. And what absolutely. I would love to talk about just in general is, like, Doris Day's costumes and jewelry in this mm-hmm. movie were, like, an absolute celebration of everything that I love about like this time period and like what makes it so much fun to watch these movies because I knew I was at least going to love that I ended up loving the story as well but like just seeing her she's you know this like upwardly mobile woman in New York a single woman which I feel like I don't know I didn't expect to see someone like that in this movie in 1959 like it felt like she felt like a progressive character to me and the Mm -hmm. way that they dressed her I mean she had every outfit you know she had you know the dress the matching coat with you know the lining of the coat was like a pop of red and it matched her purse and her hat and her earrings and there was like she had this like gorgeous like rhinestone brooch that she wore throughout the movie where it was like sometimes she would wear it just like on her chest sometimes she would wear it on her scarf sometimes she'd wear it on her belt like it was popping up everywhere and she was reusing it and it was so beautiful and at the when they were in the um, the house in Vermont, I don't know if you noticed, but she had these gorgeous big pearl earrings and this beautiful like pearl ring to match. Yes. And I like fucking I, I thought it was gonna throw my computer out the window. I wanted it so bad. Yeah, I, I did want to point out also. Yeah, they were there was five hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry lent to the production for Doris Day to wear from oh. uh, the Lakin Diamond Company, Lakin Etsy, which is um, still a diamond company. Established Established in the 1930s and still in um, in California, um, there's yeah. So they're still there. If you guys have thousands of dollars to spend, then go check them out. Um, but they were one of the first diamond companies in this region, along with um, Harry Winston. So it's like that tier. Um, of, so beautiful. You know, and yeah, did the you, jewelry's all beautiful. Did you notice when she's on the date with Brad Allen, posing as Rex 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 Stetson? Rex Stetson, which sounds mm-hmm. like a poor name to me. Absolutely. But <laughs> she... I mean, so does Rock Hudson. Well, absolutely, which is just hilarious. I also, like, I want to choose my, like, 50s, like, name. You know what I mean? Like, what would my, like, my name be if I was in the pictures in the 50s, you know? Um, I would, like, Pinky Dubois. <laughs> I 
I like that. I like that a lot. We need Pinky Dubois for the picture. <laughs> Pinky Dubois said, I'm here, mister. What can I do for you? That's how I imagine Pinky talks. It's Pinky or bust. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with Garbo? <laughs> get a rough set. I'm already in costume. You get in here, little pink pink. Ew, I did not like that. <laughs> One in the pink, two in the stink. Pinky new bars on set. <laughs> Called Primager. Actually. <laughs> oh my God, I hate this so much. Okay. Um, anyways, what I love about this movie too, one of the things that was like, so... This is, like, of the era when, like, everything's a movie, but it's also, like, possibly a musical, too. Or there's, like, always... If it's not, like, a mainly musical, there's always, like, at some point people are singing, like, Rock Hudson is a songwriter, or Brad Allen is a songwriter, and he sings the same song for every woman that he's trying to woo. Yeah. Which is funny. Um, also so manipulative. Like, Brad Allen is so fucking manipulative. Oh, he's super manipulative. And um, also building on that, yeah, Doris Day. Doris Day has three songs in the mm-hmm. in the movie. She, I mean, Doris Day was a singer before she was an actress. And, like, that's actually how she was discovered and then got her first uh, starring role in a, or not starring role, but got her first role in a film. Um, so she started out as, like, a singer and then was sort of asked to audition to be in a film and then it was sort of like she she you know said like this wasn't something that came naturally to her and it wasn't something that she really saw for herself but i think um yeah it was romance on the high seas in uh 48 i think um but they but they it started out because it was like um i think the thing that really endeared people to her was that she she was like the quintessential girl next door and i think that mm-hmm. doris day just brought like a simplicity that i think mm-hmm. um was really um endearing and i think that that was a part of why um she she became such a huge star uh you know and it's funny watching this film because i i did have several moments when i was watching it this time in particular where i was like i saw a lot of like jennifer aniston in like doris day you've mentioned that to me before so i like absolutely watched it with that lens and also with the goldie hawn lens and i also saw like a little bit of like keaton in there too oh interesting yeah Yeah. probably in some of those like more flustered moments I loved so there's a scene at the towards the end of the movie where um Doris Day's character Jan Morrow is upset because she found out the whole scheme and um Brad Allen decides to get into her good graces by having or by hiring her to um uh, decorate um, his apartment. And so there's something, I don't remember what the line is or whatever, but Dorsey is like standing in the doorway and someone says something and she just goes, ha! And like walks out of the room. And I was like, that felt very Keaton-esque in that moment. It's like the there's this thing that Doris Day does. It's it's Doris Day um when she's when it happens in quite a few Doris Day films. I'm, I'm thinking about right now, Semino Flowers comes to mind because I watched that recently. Um, but there's this thing when like she figures out something, when she puts the pieces together and she mm-hmm. is like hm. 
And she almost it's almost <laughs> that that thing that that thing that like actresses from like the fifties do, where they get flustered and sometimes they'll blow a little air out of their mouth and then that little bang sort of like flies up and it's like <laughs> it's like they're so perturbed and it's like it's the the full performative nature of like the inconvenience of it all. Yeah. And like, it's a very, like the that like stylized acting where it's like people like don't do this in real life but like we are really gonna sell this to you that like this woman is inconvenienced yeah absolutely <laughs> and Dorsey does it really well it's like it's all it's, like, where it's like she's always adorable even when she's like fuming you know well I think it's like I think it just also speaks to her like really good comedic timing like oh absolutely she, she has such good comedic timing and just knowing when how long to make that like Hermph and like to spin at the right moment and just walk out on you know walk out of the door it was just it was it was really really nice and I was actually surprised to find out that this is Rock Hudson's first comedy because he was so funny to me He's, he's wonderful. He's got so many great comedic moments. And I mean, I think that as we've seen many times, I mean, obviously, you know, like Lucille Ball started out as a dramatic actress. And, mm-hmm. you know, I Love Lucy was like this huge, like, turn in her career. I mean, I think that a lot of these actors who have, you know, a foundation in the dramatics, you know, of, of movie making, the more dramatic type films, I think that that sort of sensibility really does serve them when they translate it to comedy because comedy at its best is like it's really like situations that should be played you know for serious um Mm -hmm. but what makes them funny is how all in you know people are on that it's them embracing sort of the seriousness of the moment even within like the comical circumstances it's Mm -hmm. that full commitment because the moment you look at the camera you know and you're winking is the moment that the joke falls flat so it's that sort of like earnestness that goes into it and that idea of like I'm gonna get you and then yeah. fully like embracing you know the 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 ruse that you're going you know or the character that you're going to take on I think that's where like those moments come from and like in those genuine moments is really where it comes to life mm-hmm. um and I for oh sorry oh no 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 what were you gonna say I was just gonna say I mean like the most blatant moment uh, that like is an example for that is like um, the car with the Rock Hudson trying to get into the tiny car and he's oh, like so good huge he's like six foot six and this is like a tiny like 1950 sports car and he like tries several ways to like get into the car and then finally closes the door with his leg hanging off the door and I was like I think like these kinds of movies kind of get a like a reputation among people our age or or just among people these days for being cheesy and like not really um being believable but i was like genuinely laughing at that moment you know what i mean i think i think like when you are ensconced in this world which is very different from our current world you kind of like put 
all of those things behind you like oh people don't say things like that or people don't act like that nowadays and for me that's hard to connect with like no this is like the human experience and however it's being like portrayed is very very funny and it's always and like I also think it's really nice too to see like where these things come from you know what I mean like this movie is such a prototype for so many of the romantic comedies that I love so it was just like after watching this I was like damn we've been doing this shit forever you know and we're just building off of these like similar stories and and you know changing details and changing characters so that it's more true to whatever moment we're in but like the stories and like the the you know the hijinks and that kind of stuff they're all very similar and like one of my favorite and your favorite romantic comedies I thought about um, another performance that I think about in terms of like a common like not a common but like a current day romantic comedy where an actress is sort of fully embracing a lot of the performative tropes you know of the starlets of like the 1940s and the 1950s is Kate Hudson in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days you know which makes sense because we were talking about Goldie Hawn earlier but there are these moments Mm -hmm. in that movie where Kate Hudson in taking on like you know the full farce of like trying to you know uh, trying to be the type of girl that's going to force a man you know that's going to push a man away you know she um you know it's a send-up of these types of characters and there are those moments in that movie when she's making those faces and she's making those noises when she's doing things (laughs) and it's all in an attempt to like push you know McConaughey's character away even further Mm -hmm. um spoiler alert it doesn't work but there are those moments where she does those things and they are like quintessential, you know, Goldie Hawn, you know, esque moments, which totally makes yes. sense that that would be in her DNA as a performer as well. But it's really great because she does those hu- those hoops and those she really does that. And it <laughs> she does. It, it's great. And I and and I I don't know if I've said that I know I've said this pers- on a personal level, but I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. Like I really do feel like Kate Hudson does not get like the like credit she deserves. I think she is such a great actress. I think she's been in maybe some movies that like haven't done well, but she's always the best part of these bad movies that she's in. And I truly I really do think that she's such a good actor. Like I I and I want people to know this isn't what this episode's about, but I want I want respect for Kate Hudson on this part. Oh, I, I agree. She's you know, and at her I mean I always think that Kate Hudson Kate Hudson I don't I don't know really. I can't really think of like a a Kate Hudson dramatic performance, but I know that Kate almost Hudson, famous. you know, almost famous. There you go. She's great in that, and she's you know she's wonderful in How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. She yes. she really does. She brings it. She's great in um, what's the one with um with Jennifer Goodwin? Oh, um, something borrowed. Yes, I really liked that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's a fun film. It is. She's good in that. Is. Are you emotionally prepared um, to talk to me about Tony? Tony Randall? No. So, <laughs> um, Jan Morrow is invited to a housewarming party oh by God. one of her clients, and her her she's an older woman and she has a son named Tony a Harvard man and she insists that Tony drives um Jan Morrow back home because they're in Scarsdale and 
turns out Tony's like a full-blown rapist. Like a whole rapist. And it's also like shocking because it's like, first of all, okay, let's be clear. There's no situation in which like rape is taught to be tolerated. It's fucking disgusting. It's one of the most deplorable mm-hmm. things you can do. But I will say like, there's something extra brazen about like, you're like 30 something, like your mother's 30 something friend. Like there's something <laughs> about that that's even crazier to me. It's just like, this isn't like a girl that you go to school with. It's like a, like a business associate of your mother's. Like, and also like this scene, which is supposed to be like playfully cheeky, like, oh, boys oh being boys. And it's like literally like, it's also like he's parked. Like he's parked this car in a secluded area and he is pawing at her. He's like on top of her. Like Doris Day is literally like fighting for her life. And she's he's just, like, she's like she, literally fighting him off of her. But and she's, she's also, like, you're a Harvard man. And he's like, not tonight. I'm on vacation. And it's supposed to be this like funny take. And it's like, this did not age well. <laughs> and it's her and it's her doing her same. Like it's the same amount of like, um, it's the same amount of like inconvenience as it is in some of the cheeky scenes with Brad Allen. So it's like her, it's like her fighting for her life. But occasionally she gives you still like a, Hmm. Like, I don't think so, mister. It's, like, at the same energy of her being, like, inconvenienced by Brad Allen, like, being on the party line too long. And it's, like, this is a life or death situation. You are being, you're being assaulted. And, like, it's just craziness. And it's her, like, using all of her physical strength to keep this man from, def- from like, raping her in the back of this, in this car. Oh, not in the back of the car. I'm sorry. She's in the in passenger the front. seat. Yeah. And she just keeps being, like, that's enough. That's enough. And I swear I may be making this up but I feel like doesn't he say like no one will believe you I think at the, I think he does say oh my god so horrible and I've only he, I think he does say like my word against yours at one point yeah it'll I, just I, be my word against yours yeah, yeah it's I, like, I'm almost certain he says that uh, it, it, it's it's literally like almost every cliche line you hear about someone being a rapist and it's 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 dealt with as this like fun comedic scene and it's like A you know that it's written by men and B you know that it's directed by man and see you know that there's a woman in this scene who doesn't have the um you know we, she's not in the world that we're in now which is even still very difficult for people to speak up when things like that are happening around them and be like hey this maybe isn't like the best way to handle this you know and i'm not putting that on doris day or anything i I, I will just, do a crazy. I did pull up the scene um, here. Uh, I did pull it up. It's a quick exchange, but it's like really problematic. Um, do you want me to just do a quick read of it? Just it's yeah, just mess. yeah, yeah. If you could just do a quick read of it's it, really it's really quick. Boring. Okay, so it's them in the car. It's her saying, "Oh, Tony, please." And then he says, "Jan, you're so primitive." And she says, "Tony, control yourself. Remember, you're a Harvard man." And then he says, "Not tonight, baby. I'm on vacation." And then she says, stop it. And then he says, uh, and then he says, I dig older women. And then she says, unbelievable how many arms you have. And then he's, and she says, Tony, I'll tell your mother. And then he says, it's your word against mine. Wow. 
Um, it is horrifying. And like, like egregious. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, she's just like f- fighting for, I mean, her life. And this, and he's just like, I'm away from school. You know, when 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 the when the boy's away, he will rape. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. Um, and then. Dave brought up a good point when we were talking about it earlier. He was like, and then that uh, he goes with, and she goes with him to a second location, which we know you're never supposed to do now. <laughs> but like, and not that that's her fault, but it's just insane to me because now they're like at this like bar having a, dr- or it's like, I don't know if it's a bar, but it's like, there's it's, a dance it's floor. It's like a nightclub. It's like a, yeah, a nightclub. It's like a club or something. I mean, they, there are booths. There are like booths that people are sitting at, but there's like a dance floor and like he's just like dragging her like on the dance floor and well he also is trying to get her drunk he goes come on drink up you're still on your first one and she's like you're trying to get me drunk and he goes a Harvard boy never resorts to like getting a woman drunk unless it's an emergency and it's like what Uh, emergency exists for that (laughs) I mean we we know what the emergency is (laughs) I know it's so fucked up and I will say that like thinking about this movie is like she is generally like or there were a couple things that I was surprised about um, where um, you know there were some progressive ideas I wasn't I wasn't expecting to see such a strong independent woman making her own choices and stuff like that in 1959 and living on her own taking care of herself and not you know desperately searching for a man or anything like that but it seems like these that remind you that you are in a different fucking world. Do you do you feel like when people are watching this movie in theaters in like 1959 in Cinemascope because that was a big <laughs> deal back then? Um, do you think when people were watching this movie they were like, "Well, she's being a little too bold." <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure those because also some of the conversations that existed were kind of like in my mind I was like, "Oh, that seems racy," where she talks about bedroom problems and you oh. know, that kind of stuff and I was just like I wonder if people are are um you know scandalized by some of the dialogue well you know actually the movie it was originally called Pillow Talk and then the um, PCA which is the Production Code Administration they mm. didn't like the name um, and so they wanted to change the name and they were trying to get them to change the name to Any Way the Wind Blows which was the name of a popular song by a composer that they were, I think were going to use in the movie and I think there was some pushback um, her husband actually mentioned he wanted to change it to Any Way the Wind blows and then ross hunter the other producer really wanted to stick with the original name pillow talk but they thought that the name pillow talk was in its in and of itself too racy you know which is funny because in the theme song of pillow talk they sort of explain pillow talk they say like it's like talking near a pillow but there's no one there and i as i was listening to this i was like that's not what pillow talk is and i was i was wondering if they sort of are trying to create this definition of what pillow talk is to like appease some people who are uncomfortable with the idea of two people two adult people having sex with each other which is apparently too much for well it's yeah it's like pillow talk drinking ovaltine with your mom (laughs) 
it's like, <laughs> exactly. That doesn't make it what it is just because no. you like, cleverly like created a tune and made a ditty that you think is going to like participate, like be a part of the erasure of like the actual meaning. Um, exactly. It's an intimate, uh, according to whatever bullshit website this is that popped up when I typed it in. It is an intimate, authentic, unguarded conversation that occurs between two lovers. That's mm. what it is. So get into it. <laughs> and um, it's usually like in my mind I think it was like post-coitally like you're sitting around talking to your lover what are you usually saying post-coitus Jane <laughs> what do I usually sing or say no what do you say oh I usually say get off of me um we got something in common um <laughs> or do you do you or you do you what do you usually sing post-coitus since you brought you sing earlier Oh, I see you um, singing like um, what is that song called? Uh, Somewhere only we know. Ooh, that Keen song from Keen, like two thousand and two or something. Yeah, or if you're not the one, then <laughs> I turn my hand this way. Yeah. No, I don't really sing post quarterly. I usually just fall asleep and start snoring. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, all, all things are checking. Out. I've gotten mine, and it's time for me to take a nap. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Just you. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move along. So they're at this nightclub after the attempted rape, which apparently everyone thinks is cute. Nobody like alerts the authorities that Tony's like free on the streets. Um, and this is where we meet Rex. Stetson for the first time. Is it Stetson or Stetson? It's, it's Rex Stetson. This is where we meet, you know, she knows him as she knows him as Brad Allen, but keep in mind that like at this point, Brad Allen and Jan Morrow have never seen each other. They've only communicated via the party line when they get into mm-hmm. their little squabbles. So she's never set eyes on him before and he's never set eyes on her before. But what should be noted is that um, Jonathan Forbes, who is a character who has, who is, who has, he is a client. She's an interior decorator. He's a client of hers, played by Tony Randall, the wonderful Tony Randall. Yes. Um, he is a client of Jan's, and he is, he has gotten, he's caught feelings for Jan. He's earlier in the movie, he's tried to give her a car, which she uh, playfully, you know, hands him the keys to, and she's like, no, mister, I don't think so. So, which is insane. I don't care if anybody had a crush on me, I would take a free car. I'd be like, well, yeah. you know what? It's your prerogative. If you want, if you want to be handing out cars, that's not my problem. I am ready to be gifted a car. And also, he said earlier in the movie that he was worth eight million dollars. And I did the math. That is, in twenty twenty one, eight million dollars would be worth seventy four million six hundred ninety three thousand fifty eight dollars and forty two cents. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So she's. He can give away cars. Yeah, I'll take a car from you. And she knows that because she's an interior decorator for him. So he's trying to get with her and she's sort of like rebuffing his advances. And at this point also... So so Brad is best friends with Jonathan. Um, they they're friends, and, but they went to college.
college together, but also like, as Dave pointed out, Brad is kind of like the benefactor. Brad, I mean, t- t- Jonathan is kind of the benefactor of uh, Brad. You know, mm-hmm. like he, you know, he writes songs and stuff, and Brad finances them. I mean, t- Jonathan finances them as well. So it's like they have a friendship and like a business relationship. But like earlier in the movie, after it sort of established this this sort of like uh, tête-à-tête is established between Jan and Brad, there's a moment where Jonathan makes a comment about this woman that he's in love with named Jan. And you see Brad's ears perk up. And then he's, and he sort of puts together and he's talking, Jonathan's talking about how beautiful she is and amazing well, she is. not only do you see his ears perk up, but we hear, I think, one of the first voiceovers in the movie, which is throughout the movie they use this device that people use all the time nowadays, but it's a voiceover, which I think was maybe relatively new. I, I'm get this is a total guess, but he's like, you see Brad Allen like look in his mirror and think to himself like, could it be? It couldn't be. And I just found the voiceover so funny because if you'll notice, they like turn down the music too when the mm-hmm. voiceover comes on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this like, I wonder if they're doing it all on set as opposed to adding it later. They must have to, right? They probably did it. They probably did it in like a recording studio. Do you think? Like a I don't know. Post. Look, look, Dave I says post. T- okay. He says it's it's ADR, so it would have been done after the fact. Um, but you're right though. Yeah, it's like it's like his ears perk up, and so this is the second time in the movie that sort of happens, and that's established. And I think it's the beginning of him sort of thinking like, oh, this woman on the other end of the pillow of the um the pillow talk of the other end of the party line must be quite fetching if like my friend Jonathan's in her. But Brad doesn't share with Jonathan that this is a person that he's been going back and forth with on the party line, or that he also or that he thinks he knows the Jan that Jonathan's talking about. He sort of keeps it to himself, I believe. And so mm-hmm. then in this next scene, when she's at the nightclub with Tony, who was attempted to rape her earlier, um, and then Tony says her name, he says, oh, Jan. And then uh, Brad hears it, and then immediately he puts together that this is Jan Morrow, who is yeah, on the I other end of, po- says, of the party line. I think he says Miss Morrow. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says Miss Morrow, and then he says Jan, and then he's like, yeah. okay. So that's... Because this time watching it, I was like, how does... Like, there are... Jan is such a popular name. Like, Absolutely. How does he know? No, okay. So he says Miss Morrow. So, yeah. yeah. And then he and then he decides, knowing that if he were to introduce himself to her as Brad Allen, she wouldn't give him the time of day because they've been going back and forth for most of the movie up to this point. So he decides, I'm going to invent a character. And so this is her first time seeing him. He knows that he's a full-on, literal definition of a snack. So he's like, I'm just gonna look like I look because thanks God. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, put on like a slight Southern affectation in my voice and. Oh God. Okay, so I'm from the South, so it, it could get a lot. It could get a lot grimier than he, than he gets, but I, I get why you're. I get why you're giving me that look. It's a thicker accent than I'm giving him credit for. It's a real. It's it's theater is what it is. And here's the thing. I know it's supposed to be like really put on, but he's like, well, hello, little lady. My name is Rex Stetson, and I'm somehow not a star of pornography films. I'm just your typical ranger in town visiting New York City where I get my salsa. New York City? (laughs) It's like he, it's like 
has he ever encountered a person from Texas before? <laughs> Dial it back. But I understand it's a comedy and whatever. But it's but, a, it's it's for sure a character. You're right. But he yeah. really leans into it. He, he wants really her to know leans into it. That he and guess thinks what? he's capable of Jan. giving her a mighty pounding. And <laughs> Jan falls hook, line, and sinker for the whole damn thing. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I mean, like, he's so gorgeous. I'd be like, you could talk like, you know, Kermit the Frog, and I'd be like, let's get out of here. <laughs> You'd be like, I'd like to see, I'd like to see your rainbow connection. <laughs> and don't worry about her because I'm gonna be the Miss Piggy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so they like he he basically rescues her from drunk Tony. Tony like falls on the dance floor and the yeah, Tony like, makes a complete ass of himself. <laughs> he pa- he's pa- he's like passed this out. This is in the well, middle. I I will say Tony made a complete ass of himself during the attempted rape. Uh, during the attempted but he rape, continues yeah. But he's like unconscious. It's like what was the long game here? Like you got so <laughs> you got so drunk that it's like you've all but soiled yourself, sir. Like, in like, the middle and, of a dance club where people are like dressed to the nines. This no, it's like a like, really nice hoity-toity place, you know? And <laughs> there's so a it's live like, band. There's like, you know, people are drinking champagne. There, Louis I, Armstrong <laughs> was was the band leader. So Rex Stetson slash Brad Allen like takes... Um, What's his head over? They throw. He throws Tony over his shoulder just to (laughs) make sure that she understands that he is the alpha in the room. Yeah. And he puts that little beta into the back of a of a taxi cab, and he sends him on his way. And he's like, "I'll take it from here." And then this is the moment where we get the great scene where Brad Allen is like trying to get inside of, which is so funny because it's like, you know, you know, from the moment that you even try and open that, like, what are we trying to do? It's not going to happen, sir. I mean, you can see, okay, so I guess Rock Hudson, they say he's 6'6 in this movie, but I actually looked him up and it said 6'4, but whatever. He's just, he's just a big dude either way. And it's like, you see him walk up to this car. So the intention is that he's going to drive um, Doris home. I'm sorry, Jan Morrow home. And um, because he's a kind southern gentleman who would never let a woman see herself home. But he like it, it looks like a giant walking next to like a toy car and is like, yeah, I can make this work. <laughs> and so it's this funny bit of him just like trying to get in the car. And we talked about it earlier, but um, it's very funny. And then when they get to her apartment, she wants to give him her phone number. And she go when she gives him her phone number, she's like, she says it's Plaza Two, two seven four eight, and I was like, I don't know what that means. How is that a phone number? What does Plaza mean? Do you know what this is? No, I don't. I never. Did you cross that? I did. I just assumed it was like a switchboard operator or something that he'd be speaking with. Although that never happens in this movie. But I also am like. I've heard people give out old timey phone numbers before, and like Wait, I don't want to give somebody my real number. I always I say in I say a couple numbers and then like random and inanimate like objects. So if I didn't want to give somebody my number, then I'd say, well, you know, you can reach me at lamp four five eight. 
Donkey Crest. And then I give him a little <laughs> wink and a shimmy, and I slide out of the, the situation as quickly as possible. If this is a good thing to ask our listeners who probably know, I bet, see, I do this all the time when I'm listening to podcasts, is that I hear two people talking about something that they don't have the answer to, and I have the answer to, and I'm like screaming at my headphones being like, it's this, it's this. So if people know when this when this episode comes out, um, uh, let us know on our Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, because we would really, really love to know. Anyway, so he gets home and then he calls her as Rex Stetson. She's like lying in bed, full face of makeup, just like dreaming about her southern gentleman Rex. And he calls her and he's like flirting with her over the phone and he asks her out on a date and he says, um... Being with you is like being around a pot-bellied stove on a frosty morning. Then he, like, jumps in and, like, as Brad Allen, so pretends he's who he is. He pretends that he's Brad Allen picking up the party line while she's having, like, a private phone call with Mm -hmm. um, Rex Stetson on the party line. And it's, like, it's great. This is actually, I think, my, one of my, this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And this scene sort of, like, it really does, like, um, embody, like, Everything that I love about um, the Brad Allen character that Rock, that uh, Rock Hudson creates—it's he's so che- he's so cheeky and he's charming. And there's a moment where he's muffling his laughter right after he interrupts himself, pretending to be Rex Stetson as Brad Allen when he in- when he interrupts himself, and she instantly um, she instantly um, becomes very upset. And there's a moment where he muffles his ha- he puts his hand over his mouth and he's muffling his laughter, and it is just the cutest and the most charming thing and it's so funny because during the scene I love this scene and I looked out of the corner of my eye at Dave and Dave was just like grinning from ear to ear because it's it's so sweet it's it's so sweet and it's mischievous and like in real life if somebody did this you'd be like you, if your friend came to you and told you that then you'd be like you can't you can't date him like if you find out, like, like no, it, it, the whole time he was that neighbor of mine, the one that I've been having all those arguments with. No, it was him, but he he was pretending to be somebody else to gain my trust. It's like that's I not mean, charming in real life, unless he looks like <laughs> unless he looks like my husband. Then what you want? Well, this is this is so funny because my take on the scene was so different. Because <laughs> it was like I was watching the scene and I was like. Oh, this motherfucker is like manipulative. Oh, like, super he, manipulative. Oh my god. He's like he's not like just he's not just like gonna kind of ride this out. He's putting in work to like make sure that that she that these two people are different people. Like he's like I feel like what he's doing in the scene is like cuz I'm thinking ahead and I'm like he's stacking up the evidence against himself to make himself seem worse. It's like you willfully like did this and I know it's going to be exposed at some point and this is not going to look good on you. There's going to be <laughs> Egg on your face, sir. It's also like <laughs> on that fa- beautiful face, though. <laughs> it's, it's also like, though. Oh, it's gorgeous. That was just gonna say, like, and the fucked up part of me, which is like society's fault, not mine. I won't take responsibility for this, but it's like I am way more willing to accept manipulative behavior from hot people. <laughs> yeah, and I think hot people have known that since the beginning of time, um, and continue to. Um, 
Just look at our friend Link from the Encino Man episode. What he got away with. I mean, I even mean. even Ice Age, even Ice Age level men who were a part mm-hmm. of Pangea, the actual breaking apart of um, of the world and then the reformation of it. Um, that's what Pangea is. Don't look are up. you reading the Wikipedia um, page for Pangea? Girl, I'm not. Did you hear what I said? It was pure nonsense. I said the breaking apart of the world and then the reformation. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't add up. But, um, uh, yeah, Dave just sent us an SMH, which for the not youngins out there is an abbreviation mm-hmm. for shaking my head, which means mm. he's, or, well, or maybe he means, I don't know, what else could it mean? So much hope for the two of you, is or, what he's saying. shit, man's horny. <laughs> or, so my husband is dumb. <laughs> or, sir, my hole. <laughs> oh, I like Sir My Hole. <laughs> what is it? Cause like, cause like, what does that mean? <laughs> sir I mean, any- My Hole! Is it like, <laughs> what are you experiencing right now? That sounded it really may be, sexual. Well, it sounded like Tony, you know, in that, in that car. Tony the Rapist. Why would he be saying that? No, I'm sorry. I imagine Jan would be saying that too. Ugh, I hope Tony. it doesn't go that far. So yeah, it's this moment where um, where they're on, where he's on the phone and he's being super manipulative. And you also think to yourself, like you, like Brad Allen, like you've essentially cleared your social calendar to like partake in this. This is like a full time job. This, You're doing this a is full work. on performance. You should be in some sort of actors union because you are I, working. I will say it doesn't seem like he works all that much in general. Like he's a songwriter, but like it seems like he just like makes phone calls to women and sings the same song to them and just changes up their name. They really, they really don't want to bog us down with like the minutia of like a job. That's not. That's boring. But if you think about it, but if you think about it, Jan is at work all the fucking time, and when she's at work, men. Men will not stop like trying to marry her or have sex with her or hit on her. It's like she's just like, please leave me alone. Let me do my fucking job. Let me decorate your office without you trying to kiss me. And they're like, no, no, no. I think I'm going to just go ahead and try to kiss you. Yeah. Here's a car. Here's my penis. It's just like, I don't want either. She's um, like, I'm at work, man. Like, a <laughs> little yeah. respect here. Very much. She's like, God bless the queen that's got her own. Very that, right? <laughs> Oh, I hated that. I hated uh, I felt like that. I felt like Doug's. I felt like uh, Doug's sister from the cartoon, doing one of her like beatnik acts that she always was doing oh, at the local coffee yeah, house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a deep cut. Okay, so all of that happens, and yeah, it's just like a, it's one more chance to like sort of get under her skin, and also like you, it's like the, it's him trying to sort of uh, create like a layer of mistrust. It's so it's so it's actually very intricate what he's doing because yeah, it's, it's like it's a it's 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 a very like well thought out incredibly manipulative scheme because he's like because at first you may think to yourself oh Brad is trying to make Brad's creating Rex Stetson as a means for you know he's going to pull the rug out from under her as Rex Stetson and reveal to her you know that Rex Stetson's actually like a jerk and then Brad Allen's going to swoop in that's what I thought the, the probably the first time I saw this movie then Brad mm-hmm. Allen's going to swoop in and pick up the pieces and it's going to be like huh Brad Allen isn't that bad that Rex Stetson guy was a monster you know although as I say that I although, that's a, that's how- a possible to do <laughs> because they're not two different 
different people, so she would know that it was Brad Allen the second she saw him. So, so it's so like <laughs> the long game, essentially, I gather the lo- what they were trying to convince us that the long game is, is essentially for Brad Allen to bed her as Rex Stetson. Like, that's when this all starts. That's what I imagine yeah. it to be is just I'm th- this will be one of my like my conquests. But it's like, then what? Yeah. Like, gotcha. I pretended to be or- somebody else for a month. I mean, I think as a viewer, it's confusing, which is nice because you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't know what his you don't. plan is. And I think as I was watching and I was like, oh, he's just trying to fuck her. And like as Rex Stetson and then like, you know, go about his life. But he just like doesn't want her to recognize his voice. But like, no, he's setting up a very intricate scheme. And one of the things he does on this conversation where he's like, he's going to take you out. He's going to take you dinner to dinner and dancing and then he's gonna say come back to my hotel and then he's gonna try to basically get it in and she's like how awful he won't do that and then because (laughs) Rex Stetson is Brad Allen he knows what to do during this date so he takes her to dinner he takes her or he takes her dancing then he takes her to dinner which by the way let's talk about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they run in just for like more hijinks they run into Jonathan Tony Randall Brad Allen's best friend but he's um, Brad Allen spots him before he spots him and Jan Morrow and he doesn't want to see him there so he like creates this scheme to get him to leave the restaurant and he pretends he walks up to the front of the restaurant and he pretends he's on the phone with someone and Jonathan obviously hears him and is like hey what's going on and he's like oh I need to write these songs I'm here with this woman um hey say why don't you take her off your, off my, her hands sorry why don't you take her off my hands for me and they like show this woman and she's like there's just a woman sitting there alone he like waves her and she waves back and it's so mean because Jonathan sees her and she's like you know a larger woman but she looks lovely she looks like she's, she's having a she's nice Actually, she's really lovely. She's, she's like a really lo- she's like a beautiful woman. <laughs> she's like a beautiful woman just having a nice time in a beautiful dress, having dinner. And Jonathan sees her and decides she's too fat, and he's like, "I'm out of here," and then leaves. And I was like, "This was like gonna be a funny scheme until I realized it's super fat phobic, and like the only thing that is quote unquote wrong with this woman is that she's not skinny." And so, I mean, you know, obviously it's 1959, and people are terrified of fat people in. 2021, so I'm not surprised that this was the vibe, but I was just like, hey, we didn't need this, you know. Um, oh, oh, absolutely. And also, it's funny because he, Brad Allen, does he does a lot of, he's a very smart and cunning character, but he does a lot of starting things without knowing how they're going to end. He trusts mm-hmm. in, like, his instincts that he'll figure it out. So when he's sitting at the table, he's out at dinner as Rex Stetson with Jan Morrow, and then Jonathan comes in, him knowing that if Jonathan sees him with Jan Morrow, who Jonathan has already said he's in love with, there's going to be an issue. So he jumps up, and then he, but he starts the ruse without even knowing who the woman's going to be yeah. in the restaurant. He doesn't have an idea. He's just hoping that when he, like, looks around the corner, there's going to be a woman who, like, is displeasing in some way. So it's like, you really didn't think this through. A fucking troll. You're just hoping for, like, yeah, but you're right. She's, like, a lovely woman. Um, (laughs) Just, like, and, like, Jonathan is so scared he leaves the restaurant. It's like, fuck you, Jonathan. I mean, I knew Jonathan was... (laughs) 
<laughs> Probably not my favorite character. Although I, I get why he's actually really funny. Tony Riddle's great at playing him. But one of the things he says at the beginning, which I wrote down, um, which was he's talking about um <laughs> He's it. Jonathan is at Brad Allen's apartment. He goes, "You're prejudiced against me because I'm part of a minority group." And um, Brad Allen goes, "Which minority group?" And he goes, "Millionaires." <laughs> and I was like, "That's a really funny line," but also totally like I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, I assume Jonathan would be a Trumper if he was alive today." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they do um, with those picket signs. <laughs> so like, not like the greatest moral character, but certainly very funny um also I, I, you probably were gonna get to just get to this but we haven't talked about her yet and i just did we were talking thelma ritter who plays alma oh my god we haven't talked about her yet but i have so many notes about her and my first i guess overarching note is um all she's alma the housekeeper and she is <laughs> my favorite person in this movie if i if, if i had to choose a character to play in this movie it would be her like she's she's down. delightful she's so she's so absolutely like charming she's a she's a very like famous actress she played birdie and all about eve she was stella in rear window um nominated for like five or six academy awards like she including an academy award nomination for this movie as was Dora day by the way they were both nominated Good. i was wondering um, about that yeah they were nominated and um it won it only won one but it was it won for best original screenplay oh but, okay. um but yeah she's fabulous in this film so and, funny and just like her timing is so good and i love her back and forth with the elevator operator she's like yeah. always super hungover when she comes to clean um jan's house which i think is so funny like <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's a, it's we're teetering in the problem territory. Like, well, she's <laughs> she's so she's so hungover, and also we use the term housekeeper as loosely as it can be used because like Alma is not Alma's not working before Alma's ready to work. Well, and, and you know what that. though, Brandon, I have a note about that too, where I was like, first of all, I understand why she keeps this alcoholic housekeeper because her house is spotless. <laughs> Yeah, she, I mean, Alma's getting Alma's getting the job done. She's, She's getting just the doing job it done. Alma time. It's her own timeline, and that's okay. It's and so I, great. I was like, I love this alcoholic. Um, I love this alcoholic ca- housekeeper, which is my note. And I was like, it, this is the sweet spot in like, <laughs> in our society when alcoholism was just like a hilarious like a personality trait as opposed to like a serious problem. <laughs> I mean, it was probably right up there with like, you know, a rape is just being a, a feisty boy. A fun guy, you know? <laughs> he's just fun. He's he's not keen on hearing the word no. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, anyways. <laughs> so, they're on this date. I do... Um, <laughs> and he does all the things that Brad Allen... Um, quote-unquote predicted that um, what's-his-face was going to do, Rex Stetson was going to do, and he takes her to his hotel room, and he's like, oh, do you mind if we stop in my hotel room for a short bit? I gotta get my jacket. And she's like, oh no, here it is. Like, he's gonna try to like, you know. Get me into bed. Get me into bed. And it turns out that he's like the perfect gentleman and does not try to do that. But I also was like... 
Hold up. <laughs> Did Brad Allen rent a whole ass hotel room? For I, this that's what bit? I said. I said. I said Brad Allen at like is just like one of those like inexplicably wealthy men. He just he spent actual money on renting a hotel room for the sole purpose of walking in with. I mean, Brad Allen probably he probably slammed some random girl in that room after he took her to back to the house. Let's be honest. But no, come on. I don't think Brad Allen. I think once he met Jan Morrow, he was sprung. Yeah, that's true. I so I don't think he was I mean, looking for anything I mean, I, else. I guess what his ruse is is essentially doing things, um, just doing things or predicting things as Brad Allen that he's he's telling her, oh, this guy that you think you're in love with, he's going to do this. He's not who you think he is. And then when that thing happens, Jan has a moment where she's like, oh, my God, he's doing the thing that Brad said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And then... He, but then he goes one step further and he redeems himself in the moment. So then Rex Stetson proves himself to be a better man than Brad Allen is. And, and he does it multiple times. And every time he does it, he reinforces, like, he reinforces her, her love for um, Rex Stetson. And he also reinforces the fact that Rex Stetson is a cut above every other man. And he's not, you know, he is not the typical. And I think what it serves, the purpose that it serves is, I think it sort of, it creates it, it, it helps her to fall in love with him at an accelerated pace is what I think it does mm-hmm. because time and time again he proves himself to be a better man than she was afraid he would be um, and so every time that he almost is that guy that, that Rex says he is that Brad says he is every time he's almost that guy there's a moment where he, where he takes it a step further and then it's like oh no he's not he's way better than that oh he wasn't trying to sleep with me he really was just going back to the hotel room to get a scoff but the thing that I don't get is that it's all for naught because oh, for sure. she finds out she's always going to find out. And so yeah. it's like, or, or I wonder if Brad Allen is laboring under the fact that she'll never find out. He pro- or does he uh, yeah. just like get too far into it, develop feelings that are too strong and doesn't want to like just love her and leave her? Is that what we're supposed I think, to think it could be that. I also think that maybe when he first starts out, he's of the mindset of... Of, I'm going to, you know, maybe do this for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to get her into bed and then as Rex Stetson, I'm going to come up with a reason why I got to leave town. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to disappear. And then, I mean, just let her be a little bit heartbroken, I guess. Like that, like, I mean, which is awful. But I think that that's it. But clearly, <laughs> Again, it's oh, all bad, but... <laughs> well, it's getting somebody into bed, un, you know, under, like, false pretenses. So, I mean, yeah, it's really, really horrible. Uh, but, you know, but by 1950s standards, it's just a guy having a little fun. Well, the second time he does it, which was not <laughs> lost on me, was that so when he does that thing where he tries to make he he tries to make um, as Brett Allen he tries to tell Jen Morrow that Rex Stetson is like the way he is, you know is going to be a certain way, and he does it by implying that he's gay and he says they're on the phone Jan and um, Brad Allen are talking on the phone and he goes some men who are just very devoted to their mothers you know the types who like to collect cooking recipes exchange bits of gossip and I was like and I was like I feel fucking attacked How dare you? I know. <laughs> not only like fuck you <laughs> Second of all, sure. first of all, her reaction does not make me feel any more safe in this movie where she's like, you're uh, or you're sick or something like that and like hangs up the phone. And I was like, hmm, much like you think homosexuals are sick. But I'm also sure, it's like, 
sure, like definitely that's there. But like also Rock Hudson. It was 1959. You you weren't gonna get like a a love is love. <laughs> a hashtag love wins from <laughs> if, if he is then he'll be my best friend and I'll support him to the end hashtag this is what an ally looks like <laughs> waving a rainbow flag exactly. but I do but I just think you know the irony of Rock Hudson um, you know talking about that when he was famously a closeted gay guy and it there was a sadness for me actually when I watched that because I was just like man like I wish that that, you know, I, I, I just wish that, like, because uh, I was reading a little bit of his Wikipedia and there were, like, th- you know, they did a lot of things to, like, n- make sure none of this came out in the press. And he just spent his whole life really hiding. And he died of AIDS um, in 1985. And, um, you know, he came out and said, like, yes, I do have AIDS, which was one- he was one of the first celebrities to do that, I think, or one of the first major celebrities to do that. But still, you know, never confirmed um, his sexuality, which I think, um, you know, it's just got to be so, had to have been so tough. And I think, like, he was such a wonderful actor and such a, you know, had such a long career. But, like, I wonder, you know, how happy he really could have been just, you know, constantly being worried about being found out and having to deal with that just makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, hiding a huge part of, you know, who you are, especially being in the public eye. I mean, there were many men who didn't have sort of those pressures and that public scrutiny and, like, mm-hmm. the jokes because it was sort of, like, this open secret in Hollywood. And, like, when he did come out, many celebrities, like, you know, I believe Doris Day and Elizabeth Taylor and others came forward and said, yeah, like, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, who famously starred with him in Giant, um, mm-hmm. alongside uh, James Stewart, speaking of. But, um, you know, just, like... They, these celebrities, you know, who didn't know in their inner circle, but also it's like it's never something that, that, you know, probably would have been spoken, words that would have ever been spoken, you know, publicly, but just those things and the, the whispers and the rumors. Did you did you hear see the stuff about him and um, Jim Neighbors? Like, Mm-mm. Jim Jim, I believe it was it was Jim Neighbors from um, Gomer Pyle from uh, the Andy Griffith show. They were really good friends, Rock Hudson and Jim Neighbors and there was a rumor um, apparently that they were like a couple and like apparently some the quote was like some I God, I feel like the quote was like some Rock Hudson said it's like some gays it was like some some messy gays in Fire Island or something and I was like that checks out like created these like wedding imitations for like a wedding this was like in the 70s I believe like the wedding of like Jim Neighbors and Rock Hudson and it was like some gag and a joke but like people oh were like talking God. about it and it was in the rags and it was like this whole thing but apparently it caused like you know they they it sort of ruined their friendship in a way um because they it's were so I mean, they were sad. both they were both closeted actors so i think it was more like uh you know where there's smoke there's fire you know there's too much of us being seen together right you don't want to be you as soon as you're like you know connected with somebody you don't want to be with them you know be seen or photographed with them because you don't want to invite even if you're not with them you know I mean there's the sadness that like if the rumor comes out and you actually are in a relationship with that person then you feel like you have to break it off or step away but then also the sadness of possibly losing a friend because it's not true but you are working so hard to just make sure that people don't see you you know know in that way really as you are because the you know 
the world won't allow for it. And for sure. You know, I just, as soon as he said this line, I know it was supposed to be funny, but I just was like, I just felt like a, uh, like a degree well, of Well, the art imitating life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they, they go out on a date, and she's in this amazing red velvet dress, and that, uh, that necklace that she wears, I think it's like, I don't know if it's rubies and diamonds, but it's, um, it looks like it, and it's so beautiful, and they're standing around the piano, and um, he, at this point, um, Jonathan has hired a detective to figure out who Rex Stetson is because that's he knows that Jan is falling for Rex Stetson, and he wants Jonathan wants to marry Jan, and so he's like, I'm going to figure out who this is, and you know, very quickly it's revealed that it's his best friend, and so Jonathan at this point knows, and he's trying to figure out how to like. Um, how to you know deflate that balloon basically um or um let everybody know or at least let like jonathan know that he knows or sorry um brad allen know that he knows and so (laughs) they're at this bar and they're singing around the piano we have this band this woman playing the piano and there's a band behind her also the only only people of color in this entire movie um and there's a female singer and she they walk in perry perry blackwell yeah perry blackwell she's a female singer from chicago actually um and she's singing roly-poly which by uh, the way i'm uh, again another fat phobic thing in this movie do you know the lyrics of that song I actually didn't pay attention to them, but I did note that, like, as she was singing, at one point, Doris Day turns to Rock Hudson and she goes, because she's describing a man in the song. And then at one point, Doris Day turns to Rock Hudson and she goes, he's a fat one. Exactly. It was so offensive. And Tara and I were listening to the song being like, I'm sorry, what? So what I did was I pulled up the lyrics because I want everyone to know exactly (laughs) what kind of slander was going around this bar, this piano bar. So the first, uh, do you want me to read them? Go go for it, mama. Uh, Okay. (laughs) You're like, it's happening whether you want it to or not. (laughs) So the first verse is, there's a guy in this old town. I'm telling you a fact. He measures five feet up and down and five feet front and back. He's a roly-poly baby, pleasing as they come. He's a roly-poly baby, a ton of fun. And then the chorus is, they call him Yaya Roly-Poly over and over again. And then we move into the second verse, which is, when I first laid eyes on him, I laughed just like the rest. (laughs) The cruelty. (laughs) The more I saw the more of him, the more I liked him best. You wonder where that sort of um, admiration is coming from. Do you like him so you can laugh at him? You know, it's unclear. Got a roly-poly baby, points to him with pride. He's my roly-poly baby. I'm satisfied. (laughs) And then we go back into um, the chorus, and then the final verse... Just to put my arms around him takes about a week. (laughs) But when I get my 
arms around, we cuddle cheek to cheek. Got a roly-poly, baby. Sweet as apple pie. He is just a (gasps) roly-poly. But so am I. So, (laughs) the way that it ends (laughs) makes me feel like... This person is also a fat person and and enjoying their fat roly poly lover. Is that? Do you think that's the vibe you get? I mean, that is yeah, that is the vibe I get. Although it is interesting that that they that they say, oh my god. Well, you're enjoying your fat lover, but you're also laughing at them. So I don't think that. It's all above board if you know. No, 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 no. It's no, it's like, no, there's this really fat guy. When I saw him, I couldn't stop laughing. I was fascinated by him and his fatness though. So <laughs> I continued to like, I guess, hang out with him and like be around him. And the more I was around him, the more I, I wanted it's like fetishizing this this large man. It's like he's hilarious, but also like I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, what it is is it's not a celebration of all different kinds of bodies. Oh no! It's, so, it's sort of, um, you know, a, a vilification of a fat person, and then realizing that you like them, and then because of their personality, and so now you're on board. So it's not great. It's not great. But it's also like it's a song that's like, why does this song exist? And why, why does it like, exist? And, and why are like, you singing it? <laughs> and they're like singing it so joyfully around the piano. It's, it's like a song so about it's a song about nothing. Um, yeah. And then there's all and then there's the moment where like the thing happens that I know is what happens in Jane's fantasies, which is where <laughs> I know which is where say. the pianist takes the microphone and hands it over to you as like a random bystander and you just start cooing, you know, like a kitten into the mic and everybody's like, whoa, she's really good too. <laughs> I Okay, first of all, I knew you were going to say that. And second of all, I love how she's like, she's like, she sings one verse and then the singer is like, come on, sing another one. And, and Jan's like oh, another one, and it's like don't put that, don't don't put that act on here. It's like you want this so badly, just like sing it, steal this woman's job as you <laughs> as you clearly want to do, and sing for everybody. And she and does. She's like, she's like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't sing another. Got a roly poly. It's like, you know it. You know this song. It's one of your favorites. Well, she did yell out, he's a real fat one. So I guess we do know that. <laughs> that is so mean. That Jan's into it. She like, she like turns, she like turns to, to Rex Stetson. She turns him and she says it like, okay, like wh- what? Why are you so happy? Why is this bringing you so much joy? You're basically like just pointing at a fat person and laughing. That's what you're doing metaphorically. And I, oh. I, I hate it. Everyone's so excited about this song too. I know. It's it it I will say it brings the goddamn house down. Everyone's clapping and like participating. I should ask my grandma. I should call I should ask her and I talk to her. Like, you remember that song Roly Poly? And she's just like and my grandma's like, Oh, the one about the real fab one. Of course I do. <laughs> Got a roly poly. <laughs> she just breaks in the song. If that happens, you need to get it on recording. We yeah, we have a lot of we don't have to get into it, never mind. This is gonna be cut anyway. We have a lot of inappropriate names people in my family though it wouldn't surprise me if there was somebody in my family called roly poly it really wouldn't like the things that people are called 
I can't talk about this. I'm gonna get in trouble. I feel like my mom's gonna be, my mom's gonna be like, no. But yeah. But we have names. We have a lot of names for people, and we also have a lot of names for people that are about the thing that our producers just told us to move on. Um, We have a lot of names (laughs) for people that are about things that aren't like things that like people necessarily proud of. Like if you were in my family and you had like one leg longer than the other, they would call you limp. I can guarantee you, (laughs) they would be like, oh, there goes limp boy. And like they wouldn't think twice about it, and it would have been a name you got when you were like four or five, and you figured out a way to like navigate it to get to a point where you can kind of embrace it. But like, if anything about you was different in my family, then that would be the name. I have many nicknames in my family um, that people use. Some from when I was a baby, some from now. I've got a million. One of them is Kuda Bear, and I don't know what it means. But when I was a baby, they started calling me Kuda Bear, and I was like, and so I. I still have some like cousins that will call me or di- or more distant relatives will be like hey Kuda Bear and I've heard I've heard that Kuda name Bear. before I've heard have someone you? refer yeah I've heard you I've heard someone refer to you as that before yeah. or I've heard like, my grandmother still calls me my grandmother still call me a Kuda Bear but I don't know what it is maybe that's what I've heard maybe like with your grandmother I've heard and, her say and that, I've said why do you call me I said like, what does that mean and my grandmother says like you look like a Kuda Bear when you were born <laughs> but there's no I guess that falls in a booga wooga you what better figure it out. Bear? I don't think it's a thing. <laughs> I don't think it's a thing. I think it's just like something that was said one day. All right. Oh, so it's not an actual animal. Okay. I don't think so. I think it's I just, just tried, like words that were said. I just tried like to Google. Stuck. I just tried to Google it, and they said, "Did you mean koala bear?" So I don't think. <laughs> no. If you have a baby and you go to the south, I don't know if the white people do it as much, but you find a black neighborhood and you're just like, "Hey, here's my baby. What do you think?" <laughs> what Somebody's do you think? gonna say something that it's gonna be like. It's gonna be like, Bugsy Burger, and you're gonna be like, "That's it." <laughs> That's the nickname. He's been christened. For for life. For life. I I kind of love that. I mean... It is great. Names are like... Names are merely a suggestion. Like, because they change. (laughs) They will change your name so fast. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. We've been talking about this too long. Um, Okay. But yeah, so... So they're at there singing their hearts out and whatever. I love the singer too because this is like a big... (laughs) This is like a big moment. So... Um, Jan gets up and goes to the bathroom and Jonathan shows back up at or Jonathan shows up at the actual um which at the nightclub, yeah. At the nightclub or the bar, the piano bar. Yeah. Um, and he like goes up to Brad and he basically reveals that he knows that Brad is Rex and he's like, I'm gonna give you like the opportunity to slip out easily. You tell her you have to leave town, you go to my house in Connecticut, you got some songs you need to write for me, you spend the weekend there, blah blah blah, and you get out of her life and like basically like I won't tell her. And so he leaves before Jan comes back from the ladies' room. And what he doesn't count on is that he, as Rex Allen, or sorry, Rex Stetson, then tells Jan that he has to leave, but invites her to come to a romantic weekend in Connecticut with him. It, Sorry, oh no, ahead. I was just say it does the other thing we didn't point out. We've been talking about like the craziness behind this, but we didn't discuss was the fact that like 
his best friend is like in love with this woman. Yeah, and it's, it's like all that is so that is not in any way like a deterrent to him like playing this game. But it's also like the fact that like how are you not ever going to meet her? She's a person who like your your really good friend is very smitten with. So like in the off chance, I guess that he were to like convince her to date him or something, or maybe on the rebound of your Rex Stetson disappearing, he was able to <laughs> swoop in. Like, and they what happens if they get married or something? Like, are you literally just gonna like? I mean, are you just gonna, like, never meet her? Because it's, like, the moment she sees a photograph of you two together, which I'm assuming, you know, Jonathan has, right. she's gonna be like, how do you know Rex? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, <laughs> it, like what's the game? What's the, what's game, the game here? And I think, like, I think this is a point where it's, like, we realize, even though Rex is, like, very manipulative and smart about this, he's in over his head, for sure. Absolutely. Or Brad Allen, not Rex. Um, but that so fucked up that would be like me like going after dave behind your back like if i had never met <laughs> if i had never met dave and there's some scenario where like i found out about him existing and then like tried to like sweep him off his feet out from under you and you like invited him to like your house and you're wearing like, and then i was like dress, let's and you're like <laughs> let's play roly poly and then and you'd be like and he'd be like, where's your dick? <laughs> Oof, that was really direct. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> so then, they're in the we car. Can... <laughs> they're in All the right, car. it wasn't the best scenario. It wasn't the best comparison. But you understand what I'm saying. Oh, I got it. I you got wanted you. to move on so fast from that, but that really made me laugh. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so, they are... They... They drive to Connecticut. They're in the car. Um, and uh, Brad is wearing that fantastic coat. Um, and, and she's also, got on that really beautiful... She has on her, her like fur coat with like the hood. Oh, it's like a so fur great. coat with this great hood on it. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And she's just like deciding she's fully in love with him. She's like, this is <laughs> like... She's there. She's it. Well, she already basically said it to Jonathan earlier, which is what sparked him to feel like he needed to get a private eye because he's talking about her and he says like she's he says you're falling from or something and she says yeah I am so it's like we're moving further in that direction and also this bar was the opportunity for once again she's got all of Brad Allen's thoughts in her head now about him maybe being a homosexual and the bar is like the moment that they have of their kiss for the first kiss oh that, like, that's right the first kiss it was a very and it's like kiss. oh he's not gay um it's like a word spoken by many a beard but um <laughs> exactly honey you have no idea anybody can kiss anybody but I did their 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 kiss was very chaste and it just yes. reminded me of the time you know it's like right now in movies people are like literally sucking each other's faces off but also do you notice that the the piano player she stops playing the piano yes I forgot I wanted to mention that <laughs> It's like a it's like a dimly lit like bar. It's like it's it's got like this sort of like saucy vibe to it. So it's like it's not that crazy that like these two people would be like necking like in you know I get that it's 1959 but still it's like she is arrested like in, her, in the moment she stops doing her job. It's like. <sighs> She does that a couple times, actually. When she, when, when Jonathan and um, uh, Brad Allen are talking, when Jan is in the bathroom, and he like has his number, and he's like, "I, I know who you are," blah blah blah. She stops playing and like listens for this the the currently spilling tea, and she's so 
into it. And I love that. And then when he leaves and he's convinced um, Jan to come to Connecticut with him, um, she starts playing this song. I don't remember what song, but it's like something about like he lied, he's a cheater or whatever. And like Brad Allen turns around and he gives her a smile that is so charming and dashing. And I wrote, I was like, that's how that's how really attractive people can get away with this because now I think what he's doing is cute as opposed to like really fucked up which like we we do have a way we do have a way of (laughs) all right (laughs) um setting things up to no but he also he winks at her also yeah and it's it's also but I I said to Dave it was like I was like what if she like she's like I was like she knows that the whole ruse is going on she's seen the conversation between Jonathan and Brad where Brad where Jonathan basically confronts him and says you've been lying and pretending to be somebody else to get Jan's affections and you know I want it to stop and so she sees all this Jan comes back and then she starts playing the song you lied and then um she sort of smirks at him as he winks at her and and I said what if she spoke up and then I was like what like what with this black woman in 1959 who's got this job at like you know this gig she's got at like this piano bar like she's gonna mess that up getting meddling in these white people's business yep like why what what would it do for her in no world, in no world does she need to be doing that. He would have had her fired. He would have he would have had her fired so quickly. Look, you got an uppity one over there. <laughs> oh my god. I, I honestly whatever I'm t- anyways. <laughs> I was gonna say something inappropriate and I won't. Um <laughs> so uh, we're at the house in Connecticut. There it's Jane Are we at Lex. your family's house in Connecticut or are we at <laughs> Right. My family does not have a house in Connecticut, although my mother is from Connecticut, and many of my cousins and aunt and uncle live in Connecticut. Although my aunt, who has a house in Vermont, also has a place in Connecticut, too, which is, like, in that area. So, yes, I'm very connected to Connecticut. Okay. (laughs) Connected to Connecticut. Sounds like an advice show or something. But, you know, I'm, I'm, it's very close to Boston. It's not like a public, like a public access show where somebody like, like with a person who goes out to like, you know, happenings in the area. In Connecticut. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) I'm, I'm Chauncey St. Charles and I'm still connected to Connecticut. We're stopping, (laughs) we're stopping in Teresa's Tapas Bar. And let's see if we can walk away with a nibble or two. It's very bad. I I immediately dislike Chauncey St. Charles. (laughs) Well, she's connected to Connecticut. She's got your dream job. So. Oh, I thought I thought it was a dude. Oh no, it's a no, it's a woman. Oh, I I mean I. First of all, I I hate to gender a name, but you just did. So it seemed like it came out easy. In my mind, sounded like Chauncey was a boy but anyway that's rich coming from you so they're at the they're like canoodling by the fire having some champagne um kissing and they are jan like stops them because they're like getting a little too hot and heavy um which like i would never do Uh, (laughs) but Sorry, why do I say these things? Let me start that over. Okay. So they're, like, canoodling by the fire, having some Mm -hmm. champagne, kissing. Things are getting hot and heavy. It's a little too fast for Jan, so she, like, kind of pulls herself away for a minute. Do you think Jan's a virgin? 
No. Okay. Do you? I don't know. I never know with these types of movies. I mean, I think it's, like, really, like, naive to think that about, like, a 30-something woman who, like, mm-hmm. lives in the city and, like, you know, I think she's probably just a more a selective woman, but, yeah, I don't think she's... Absolutely. Would. I also imagine, like, maybe she's, like, I, I don't know, this is me writing a backstory that isn't there, but, like, maybe she was, like, previously engaged to someone and, like, it didn't work out or something, and so she sort of just, like, forged her own path and was, like, I'm not going to, like, wait for a husband or whatever. And in that instance, like, you know, if you're engaged or at least, like, in a serious relationship, of course you're going to have sex with someone, even in 1959. I no, mean, for sure. But, again, I was not there. I have no idea. But that's my, my, my thought process behind those times is that people were having sex just as much, but were absolutely way more shameful about it. And, so, yeah, a lot more discreet. Right, exactly. And just everybody probably depending on that old pull-out method. That was horrible. <laughs> let's, just, um, let's just move it along. So, anyway, so Rock... Oh, sorry, not Rock. Well, um, Rex Stetson decides he's going to go get some more um, logs for the fire. And as he's walking out, he notices, for some reason, his sheet music is on the floor, which is like, at what point did that happen and why is it there? What's like, did you bring that with you? <laughs> like, well, he Also, did do we not have this song memorized yet? I know. <laughs> like he the she, he he was supposed to be there under the guise of writing songs so he may have taken it with him and this is um, the sheet music for the song that she has heard him play over and over again to different women just sort of like inserting each each woman's name into the song right. so this is a song she is very familiar with so mm-hmm. it's the sheet music and you know it's and there. so he's nervous she's gonna see it and he knows from um you know them singing roly poly at the bar where she was holding the sheet music that she is more than capable of reading sheet music. Um, So he, like, weirdly folds it up and, like, puts it in his coat and then goes outside without his coat. Like, literally, like, places it in his coat. Not in a coat pocket. He just no. sort of, like, he just, like, wraps his coat around the sheet music and lays it on a chair, I guess, in the hopes that she won't be touching it. Like, why, I guess, why would she? Yeah, um, but still, like, maybe, like, I don't know. It seems like he has I mean, you could have at least put it in... You could have put it in an interior pocket. And like, yeah, you know. or you could have, like, taken it with you and, like, stuffed it in your pants and, like, thrown it in the garbage on your way out. Like, whatever. But so he leaves the house. And the absolute first thing she does is put on his coat and it falls out and she brings the sheet music up to the piano and starts like, you know, um, figuring it out and playing it. And then he walks back into the house and realizes she's playing the song and he stops it in her track and then she realizes what's happened and immediately real like puts it all together and runs into the room. And then she runs out of the room with her suitcase and in through the front door, Jonathan comes up and he's like, he opens the door and he's like, he's not Rex Stetson. His name is Brad Allen. And she's like, I fucking know. And the whole time, (laughs) Brad Allen is standing there holding a pile of logs 
the most enormous logs I've ever seen. Like, logs that huge don't go on a fire. They go to build, like, a log cabin. <laughs> and he's standing there holding these enormous logs, just watching them scream and say things back and forth. And he doesn't say a single word, which I just thought was so funny. And one of the things, one of the burns that um, Jan delivers right before she leaves, because Jonathan is now going to drive her back to the city, which I thought was such a good burn. She goes, bedroom problems. At least mine can be solved in one bedroom. Yours couldn't be solved in a thousand. And slams the door. And I was like, yes, bitch, you said it. That was Jan acknowledging that she has difficulty achieving orgasm. <laughs> um, okay. Or he just accused her in the beginning of the movie also, of there's having something about the term bedroom bed- problems. What is bedroom Well, here's like, the thing. I think it means she's, he's like, I, I mean, what it means is that he's saying that she doesn't get laid or she doesn't date. Her. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But okay. like, they can't say like, oh, you're not getting any because this is 1959. So I think so they, they have to, yeah, you're, yeah, you're the term right. bedroom problems was deemed a little bit more appropriate. Do you think that like, what would you do if on a first date someone told you, well, just so you know, I've had some bedroom problems up to this point would you be like I would ask for clarification you wouldn't just pretend to know what they're talking about and nod your head uh, absolutely not you know I am an I am uh, I don't let sleeping dogs lie I poke them and I ask a lot of fucking questions (laughs) or if they cooed if they cooed to you I think this may just solve my bedroom problems like at what point? Like while we're eating dinner, or like while we're about to? Go yeah, to like the- while you're like necking on the couch and Roly Poly's playing in the background. I would say, hang on. Let's take a pause for a second and talk about what you mean by that. Oh yeah. Also, I do want to talk about after Jonathan rescues her and how annoyed he is that she's crying in the car while he drives her back to the city. And he takes her to this diner to like get a cup of coffee. He's like, come on, we'll stop your crying. And then what he does is he says, this is for your own good. And in the middle of the diner and God and everyone, he smacks her straight across the face. And I was just like... Okay, he like hit, he hit her hand. I want to say that. He hits her hands are over and he, he, he pops her in the hand, which is also inappropriate. Um, <laughs> Brandon, what are you trying to do? I'm just, he doesn't slap her across the face. It just like, <laughs> he slaps her across the face. Her hand may be in the way, but his intentions are clear. Also, I don't care where he slaps her. He fucking slapped her. Oh, that's true. He did. He did. I You're mean, right. it does... it's either way so horrible it's not a great great moment and he's the sun wasn't shining on Jonathan in that moment no if you if you had found his character charming before this will absolutely throw you off your goddamn chair like you got slapped in the face by Tony Randall anyways so then like these like two like local guys see it happen and so bless them, they walk up and they punch him in the face and knock him out. But I did think like, what is their end game? Because like, they're trying to defend her, which is great, but then they punch him in the face and then they just leave. <laughs> She's just yeah. like, there with like an unconscious man. <laughs> yeah, no, very much so. And then she starts crying harder. 
Yeah, so they haven't solved anything for her, really. No. But but they let her know, we see you. <laughs> we and see we you. we stand with you in we this movie. We stand movement. with you for about five seconds, and then we got places to be. We got exactly. to, you know, we got things to do. There's things on the to-do list. I don't have time to stand around here and find out, you know, how we can actually help you. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um... Also, I did want to point out, too, that the security in Jan's building is a goddamn joke. Think about it. Jonathan, before he goes and rescues her in um, in Connecticut, he just walks up to the doorman. He's like, hey, where's my girl? Where's my girl Janet? And he's like, oh, she's not here. But she went to Connecticut for the weekend, which is like... No. First of all, stop talking. Don't just tell random people where she is. Even if you've seen him before as a friend of hers, do not give out information. But what he does is he doesn't stop there. He gives her, he gives Jonathan the address of where she is without him even asking for it. He doesn't need it. It's his house. He knows. But it's just like, it is so egregious that like you could walk into a building in New York City and be like, hey, where's Janet? It's like, well, she's not here but I'll give you the whole ass address to where she is so you can do whatever you want to her yeah no it's very it's very much like you know that woman's anyone's property she doesn't have a ring on her finger there's no husband and you can catch her if you try (laughs) this is where she is it's horrible it is a lot I hadn't noted that but you're right like he, he can't wait to give it up no he can't um so they all come back. Brad is like sad. He can't write his songs because he really feels that he's screwed up, which he has, with um with Jan. I mean he's spent the better part of I don't know how long this like courtship was, but he spent all of it lying to her, so she's like not on board. So what he decides to do is um he wants to get in with Alma, her Jan's housekeeper, and be like, Alma will figure out, will tell me how to um, win my girl back. <laughs> and the funniest thing about it is he like runs into Alma outside the building and he's like, oh, I'd love to take you for a drink. And she's just like playing, <laughs> playing coquettish. And he's like, oh, I don't really drink. I, I might have one just to be sociable. <laughs> Like Alma, you've been scraped off the elevator floor the every morning we see you. I'm sure I'm almost probably like I usually do this in the darkness of my apartment with Duke Ellington playing, but I'm doing it in public. Sure. Um but yeah, and then he also suggests a bar and she's like, No, 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 not that one. Yeah. I know they'll give you the whole bottle right over here. Yeah. So it cuts to them sitting at a table and Brad Allen is passed out on the table. Yeah, her sitting at a table and him plastered <laughs> painted onto the table because nobody's gonna drink over like drink Alma under the table. It's not happening. Yeah. It's great though. She's such a good character. And she's so funny. And and what we get from her in this moment is that she's like well you know what you should do you should hire her to decorate your apartment and she was like oh decorating a man and a woman decorating apartment together that's pretty intimate 
Which is not like a phrase or a saying I've heard before, but I guess that's the vibe here. Also, her door, the doorman, once again, there's the moment where the doorman points out to Brad in front of the building. And when Alma steps out to go to catch her bus, the doorman points at her and he- gives him a head nod like she's the one. So yeah, it's like, that's who the you're doorman, looking for. Yeah, that's who you're looking for. You wanted to know the woman that works for Jan? Well, you don't have to give me anything. I'll just tell you. It's that one right there. And it's just like, yeah, nobody's concerned about her safety. He's not thinking. Nobody's protecting women. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, he's not thinking. He's probably one of Tony's relatives. And nobody's thinking like, (laughs) maybe like, he's not thinking like, whoa, there was another man here looking for her. I gave the address to where she was vacationing at. And now there's another man who's like trying to get in with her housekeeper. Like this woman isn't safe. (laughs) No. All the things is like, oh, well, there's my fellow bro. I guess um, I'll do whatever I can now. It's the, because he, it's the bro code. Exactly. That's what it is. It's the bro code <laughs> that like in, that compels him to be like, that's your treasure right there. <laughs> um, and so finally he gets Jan to come to his apartment to like do a walkthrough and she's obviously pissed off and she's like looking at this like bachelor pad and I didn't they I guess they show this at the beginning of the movie too but I did not notice this at the beginning of the movement movie he has like Brad has light switches in his house and one of the light switches like he like tells when when they're like built into the back of the couch these switches and yeah. so when Jan is there, like, appraising the apartment, and, or not appraising it, but, like, checking it out and, like, seeing what she needs to do, and she, like, tr- goes for the switch, and he's like, no, 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 don't touch that, don't touch that. And she's like, if I'm going to do this apartment, I need to know how what everything is. And so she flips the switch, and the lights go down, the music starts playing, and the front door locks, which is the absolute rapiest thing you can have in your apartment. Like, unbelievable. Well, maybe it's it's less about keeping them in, and maybe it's more about keeping people out. Like, maybe it's like, we're about to be intimate now. I'm gonna make sure that the front door's secure so nobody, like, interrupts us. That's how you know, that's how I know you are not a woman, because that's not what that's about. David just said rapist (laughs) defender, is what he just called me. Yeah, and and he sounded like him. So, but no, I know, I, I I know it's to make it more difficult for whoever is with him to leave. And when you got and, and as a woman, just like watching that, that is like literally my biggest fear is like not having an exit, you know. So that was like <laughs> made me like Brad Allen a little less. Although, I mean. Those Again. bugs were probably in the apartment when he got it. Okay, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why are you a rape apologist? <laughs> oh, God. Everything I say gets twisted. Um. Anyways, so he's like, I want you to make this place the type of place that you feel comfortable in. Like, he's, like, really laying it on thick. And she's like, you know what? On a job like this, you have to give me carte blanche. And so give me the keys. Move out of your apartment while I take care of this. 
Um, also, it should be noted that as well, he also conspires with her boss at, at, oh, the, yeah. the, at the company. So that's the third person who's been complicit in like, we're going to like put her in a situation that she doesn't want to be in because we all know this is for her, for her own good. Yeah, like all of these people who like you think would be on Jan's side are like, oh, this handsome man is like, letting me in on his scheme. Like, like, yeah, yeah, she doesn't know what's good for her. Well, exactly. I'll sign on the dotted line because this 30-something-year-old woman is single. <laughs> like, yeah. can't, can't. She's got a couple good years left, but we're going to have to step in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, she is putting a ton of time and a ton of money to decorate this apartment in the most wild and ridiculous way she can think of, obviously, to, like, piss him off. And while she's doing that, he's calling all his former paramours and telling them he's getting married, which I thought was a very weird move and fully unnecessary. Like, A, you're not engaged, but that's the least of the problems. Like, do you really need to call all your old girlfriends and be like, hey, just so you know, I'm dying the knot. Like, what? if I got a phone call like that, I'd be like, okay? Like, I mean, but Jane, these are, this is like pre-Facebook and social media where you maybe get, like, the alert. This is like, I'm letting you know that I'm off the market. That This will prevent you from calling me and, like, catching my wife on the phone or something like that. Maybe it's just, like, I'm letting you know not to contact me any further, essentially, and, like... Okay, maybe. I've maybe. never, I've never had enough open. I've never had enough open-ended situations to have to call and be like, <laughs> "No, me neither." No, I'm betrothed. But I guess if you were like have a very active social calendar and there are, you know, many lovelies out there that like you have bedded fairly recently, then you think it's worth mentioning. Like, hey, just so you know, it's. I guess I guess there's a proactiveness about it I respect. Um, you know. But you kind of also feel like oh, let's like that <laughs> the situation presents itself where I need to like reach you then you can tell me then. Like if I call you for a date. <laughs> exactly. And then you say, then oh, like, I'm actually married. Yeah, or like I I'm dating someone or like I I I just uh, it seems like I don't know, I would rather be reactive as opposed to proactive to that scenario, but I guess I I'm it's a it's a la- little bit of work that you're putting I'm, on yourself. I'm laboring under the assumption that he's ended these relationships, which maybe he hasn't. So this is his way of doing it. I don't know, but um, I, yeah, it was probably just a device to show us that like Brad's grown he's up, changed. Yeah, absolutely. although she hasn't like she, she doesn't want you as far as like we're concerned. So it's like you may be like putting the cart before the horse a little bit there, buddy. Right, exactly. But I think Brad is pretty pretty confident. And also everyone in her life is like allowing for like him to just like come in and do yeah yeah, total access to her when she like and no one clearly doesn't want to see him and no one's (laughs) been like hey Jan what happened everybody's just like he shows up and he's like hey so Jan doesn't want to talk to me but I think I know what's best for her so (laughs) you give me like access and nobody's like what why why didn't she want to talk to you though what'd you do yeah Um, or like hey I don't really want to get involved it's not really my place so like. I, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to bow out and, you know, just let it play out as it, as it will. (laughs) It would have been, it would have been nice for Jan to have one friend that they added into the movie just for the sole purpose of that. Just to be like, what you did was appalling. I I never think that you deserved a second chance. I heard you spoke to the creepy doorman. (laughs) 
to find out who her maid was, and then you also conspired with her boss to force her to have to work on your apartment? It's, it's really inappropriate, Brad, and a little disappointing. Like, that would have like, been a great, like... Counter. That would have been great. I would have loved to play that part. I'm like, hey, Brad! <laughs> I think you would have had to beat uh, Sarah Paulson for it, because I feel like it's got oh her, my God, of her name written all over it. <laughs> Why was my first thought Rosie O'Donnell? I think it was the way that I said the hey, Brad. It, it doesn't fit, but... <laughs> yeah, she's, not on, she's not on this set. I could see Rosie playing, like, Alma in a remake. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so, anyways, so, <laughs> finally Brad is allowed access to his apartment, and <laughs> when he opens the door, he's with Jonathan, and, I mean, it is... It is fully unhinged. I mean, it's every... It's a modge podge, mis, mis, mismatch, you know, everything. I mean, she really... She went... She took the petty route, and I loved it. <laughs> she was like, I am going to devote so much time and money to making this place some some place that you hate. I'm gonna just I'm gonna destroy your apartment. And also, did you notice that like they during the montage where she's going around picking the materials to design the place, every place she goes to, she like she'll point to an item and be like, that's what I want. And then the person who's like whose business this is is always like, Are you sure? It's like, I you didn't. Right. If like it kept happening. They kept being like, Are you sure that's what you want? I don't know. <laughs> and I kept thinking like what what business owner is ever like saying anything other than okay buy my product. Like exactly business owner to like stop you and be like whoa 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 it's just like I can't think like what business owner has something in their store that they're like I don't know <laughs> also it's like this is your store you're selling ugly shit like that's what I'm saying like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like take it off here the that you don't stand behind yeah exactly um, but like even if you don't stand behind it like you still want to get it off the shelf you still want to get so it out like... of here get out of there yeah <laughs> Um, but so, the apartment is atrocious, yeah. It's insane. And so what Brad does is he marches right on over to Jan's apartment. And what he does is <laughs> she's in Good old-fashioned B&E. Yeah, breaking and entering. And I'm well, I'm sure I'm absolutely sure the doorman was like, please go on right ahead. <laughs> go on up. She's unconscious. <laughs> Why is she unconscious? Well, she's asleep. Okay, well, I think those are two very different ideas. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Please go visit a woman who I know is unconscious in her apartment because I had something to do with it. That's what I heard from that one word. <laughs> like, he's created the scenario. Yeah, and he's like, go get yours. <laughs> Wait, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, oh my god, I just... She's in another one of those classic girly stupors. <laughs> what she is, is she's sleeping. She's and so, sleeping. So Brad goes up to her apartment, runs into her bedroom, and is like, get out of bed. And she's like, no, get out of my apartment, you fucking psycho. And he's like... <laughs> Get out of bed, sweetie. <laughs> and he, you get out or I'm coming in. Yeah, exactly. And then he grabs her, picks her up, and she's like kicking and screaming. And he 
takes her down the elevator. She sees people she knows. It's like a fun comedy, but she's like, hello, Mrs. Whatever. And she's like, oh, hello. And then she goes back to screaming. And then she leaves her apartment. Her doorman, of course, is fine with her being dragged Opens the, the door for him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Makes, and he says, clears ooh. a path. And he says, ooh, you got a live one. No, he yeah. doesn't say that. <laughs> well, at one point, he's walking down the street, and she's screaming. And she pleads with an officer to help her. And <laughs> the fucking police officer is like, you know, what you need is a man to take care of you or something like that. Okay, I did want to bring up... Okay, really quick. I know, Dave's like, you you guys are running really long, and he's not wrong. I know. Um, so I did want to pull out this quote that I thought was really funny, because apparently Rock Hudson had to carry her on a shelf, because his back, like, apparently while carrying her, like, he... Because they had to shoot the scene so much. Eventually, mm-hmm. he went from carrying her... I don't know why, like, a piece of wood would make it easier to carry somebody, Seems but like apparently... Really I don't know, maybe just stabilize her a little bit more, but this is what Rock Hudson said. I could have managed if only one take had been involved. But we went on endlessly, primarily because there was a bit actor who played a cop on the street. And as we passed him, Doris, as, he, as we passed him, Doris's line was, officer, arrest this man. And the cop was supposed to say to me, how you doing, Brad? But that stupid actor kept calling me Rock. So back to our... <laughs> So, so back to our marks, we went for another take and another and another. I'll bet we did that scene 20 times. That's why the shelf for Doris, that's why they had the shelf for Doris to sit on. So apparently that was why at some point they brought in the shelf because this actor couldn't like get his line right and like kept referring to Rock Hudson as Rock Hudson. Oh my God. I, first of all, I love the zero compassion for like a featured extra. It's oh like, no. It's like Rock does not remember his roots. No, well, this is this is old Hollywood, baby. You get it right to pay the price, okay? Just like at Camp Anawana, girl. Um, first of all, love the Camp Anawana reference. Thank you. Uh, it was very good. Um, really spoke to my heart. But I'm gonna. We're almost done. <laughs> so he takes her up to his apartment and he like throws her on the bed and I think he says like fine you this, live here or something sorry this was a really apparently this was one of the scenes that was like really racy for a movie was him carrying her down the street like that was something that had not been like in a film before like a man carrying a woman you know they're not married she's a single woman she's in her nightgown obviously she's in like a freaking muumuu but she's in her nightgown she's draped in blankets pants yeah she may have she may even be wearing pants but she's fully clothed and she's also draped in blankets but like the idea of like a man carrying a woman in a state of quote unquote undress like down a down a city street this was a scene that apparently was like really when it came out this was considered very racy at the time like oh my god we can't believe that he's like you know this man is like walked into this woman's apartment and picked her up from her bed and her you know her, her best night her best night clothing and then took her out into onto the public street where people men and women and children could see her so I just so I thought that was funny because it feels like that's such so a, funny because it's, it's such so, a PG scene well I mean I think the scene is controversial for other reasons which is a man oh her not sc- her screaming against her will carrying her down the street and no one wants to help her well several several men co-signed his behavior so he's I know okay from the doorman the cop also yeah the cop's um, on board yeah everybody's just like Ugh, get her out of here. But then he, so then they get up to his apartment. He throws her on the bed and he says something about how, like, he, I can't believe, like, you know, 
the per, the woman I'm gonna marry did this to my apartment or something like that and he's like mad and so he like turns to leave and then what she can think of to do is flick the the rapey switch and it locks the door and the music plays and the light turns on and then they both erupt in laughter and apparently that's enough to solve all of the fucking shit that went down and they I think kiss mm-hmm. and then it's and then it's the final scene which implies that you know they're having a baby and the flashes for three months and then it's mm-hmm. um you know it's it's her getting ready to have the baby and I mean they're they're married and all's well that and ends well I guess happily ever after I, I will say it was one of the most like sometimes I when I watch movies and I see people get back together and I think oh wow like they didn't really solve the problems that they had this is one of the most glaring fucking examples of just sweeping it under the rug <laughs> there was no scene where she sat him down and explained to him how inappropriate his behavior has been and how it's like yeah. made her question like trusting him exactly and like all men in general because and like, him being like my bad <laughs> because all the men in her life apparently are more loyal to him <laughs> than to her yeah she's dealt with a lot of problematic men in this movie yeah and she just picked great. like the hottest one to marry basically <laughs> which like I guess if that's the if that's if that's the sea you're swimming in you know <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do and I would also pick rock <laughs> there you go <laughs> So that's the movie, and it was really fucking cute. I really, really enjoyed it. I had so much fun. Would you watch it again? I would absolutely watch it again, yes. Oh yeah, I'm happy you liked it, Janie. It was yeah. the first, like, older film, so I was, like, a little bit nervous because I knew it was going to be sort of mm-hmm. a different energy, but I also just trusted the fact that, like, the movie, the stars in the film, mm-hmm. I knew that it had things in it that were appalling that would be fun to talk <laughs> yeah, about. that's and, exactly. And I also knew that it was overall, like, a really just delightful rom-com that sort of has, like, a DNA that I think a lot of movies that we love, current movies... Um, clearly, you know, took a took a, you know a page out of the book of. So, I thought that it would be fun knowing you, and I'm happy you enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to have seen it. I never ever probably would have sat down and watched it unless you forced me to do it for a podcast, and I'm really glad that I did. That makes me really happy. So, Jane, do you have a movie for me to watch next week? I do. Um, and. I well, I have one, and then I have a backup because I'm not. I I'm I'm not sure if you haven't seen this movie, but I'm oh, okay. so hoping that you haven't. And oh. it's actually so you mentioned the star of this movie um, in the beginning of this podcast. So I'm really I'm I'm, I'm fingers crossed you haven't seen it. But I oh. would love for you to watch. A movie starring our girl, Sandy Bullock, called The Net. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, thank God. Oh, my God. I'm so I've almost watched it. I've almost watched it a million times because it pops up on streaming platforms and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I've never actually clicked on it, no. I I actually haven't watched it in a while, but it is so good, and I'm so excited for you to see it. I cannot wait. I mean, first of all, I couldn't believe we haven't done a Sandy Bullock joint We haven't hit up Sandy B yet, and I do love her. We haven't, and I absolutely love my girl. So... I'm really excited. So 
Um, yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I know this is probably a long one. I, it hasn't been edited yet, but I'm sure it's long as fuck. Um, so we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow, you can find us on Instagram. We are at Movies We Missed, and we're on Twitter, which is at MWM chat and you can find us also on Facebook at Movies We Missed as well. So follow us there. Tell us how much you love us. Chat with us. If you hate us, um, skip it. You know? Yeah, keep that shit to yourselves. Yeah, exactly. We don't need to hear it. So we will see you next week with The Net. Bye. Bye. Pillow top, pillow top, pillow top.